The GameCube is Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito, Benito, AJ Olson 11, Cube Dude, Bogus Lotus, Doomerzan782, and Jude Hanlon. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So anyways, Mike, of the kids from the show Recess, I would have to guess that Spinelli was the one who grew up hot. You know what, Neil? I've got to agree with you on that one, but we are live. We are live. Oh, oh well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. I do think a lot about those kids from Recess. I, uh, I, I like to know where they are now, but God, I really hope Disney just leaves that franchise alone, among many other things that Disney cannot seem to leave alone. But anyway, Mike, uh, I have some big news to share. Uh, I got engaged. Congratulations, Neil. Oh my God, that's huge. Huge news. Yeah, thank you. We haven't actually talked about it in person since it happened yet, but we also haven't really talked about it uh, over the phone or over uh, over the podcast. So uh, yeah, pretty big news. I've been planning this for about uh, five or six months now, since May, whenever the hell May was. I don't know. <laughs> I guess that's about five months. But uh, yeah, proposed to my uh, girlfriend, now fiance. Fiance. Uh, mm, like a, I can't not think of Seinfeld no. now every time, I, <laughs> every time I say it. But uh, no, it was good. We had a whole thing planned out, had a nice little scavenger hunt, which was cool. Uh, I love scavenger hunts. Even though I knew it was coming, it was still fun. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. I can see that. Definitely. I didn't know where the clues were going to be, but I did know the scavenger hunt was coming. In the end, we had the whole thing planned out where I gave uh, two t-shirts uh, because we're going to Disney in January. So the two t-shirts were Mickey and Minnie and it said just engaged and then uh, got down on one knee and proposed. So uh, yeah, going to be planning that now for the next year. So that'll take up a lot of my time, <laughs> which is great. But I'm a, I'm a party planner by trade. So uh, I basically take my work home with me now every night. That's perfect, Neil. Now you can, <laughs> you can take your work home with you. You can take this podcast home with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, you know, just doing double duty there. So uh, it's good to see. And congratulations again. Uh, uh, how Thank surprised you. was she? You know, level like one to ten. Very. I would probably okay. say an, an eleven. Wow. I guess would be would be the range there because okay. she thought it was going to be in Disney. That was the thing. Fair we, enough. We let her. We let her on a on a different trail there. Ooh. So uh, yeah, definitely thrown off. Like when when you know, no makeup on, no nail polish. You know, like so you knew she probably didn't have any idea, which is the way yeah. I wanted it to be. So completely surprised Love on that. a beautiful lake in uh, northern Ontario, which is nice. And of course, Mike, you will uh, you will be my best man, as the listeners can probably already yes. tell. I leave those uh, responsibilities up to you. So uh, have fun planning the bachelor party, I guess. GameCube themed, obviously. Hell yeah. That'll be a, the GameCube has to be included in some way. Now, should it be GameCube themed or should it be Stadia themed, Neil? Oh, well, Stadia, Mike, will be long dead. I mean, Stadia's already <laughs> dead. So, I mean, by next year, it'll be even further dead. But uh, we did get some Stadia news recently. Google announced that Stadia would be shutting down as of January 18th, 2023. I got to say, Mike, I thought it was already shut down. Yeah, and the thing with Stadia is that it never really was. It's not really a console or anything. It, it's it's really just a, a cloud service to play games on, and you really mm-hmm. don't need anything more than your controllers and just buying the games through Google. And the idea of it, I think, is cool. We're just not there yet as a society right. as 
internet, everything, like playing cloud games on the Switch is awful. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, one day maybe we can see this. uh, I think Xbox, like Game Pass, kind of has already figured this out, though. So Mm -hmm. uh, they are kind of the first in this uh, in that field. But yeah, uh, Stadia is dead. Long live the Stadia. Uh, uh, Released (laughs) in 2019. So uh, about three years because November 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't uh, didn't last for that long, and it 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 gets to join a long long list of <laughs> uh, gaming studios and companies who've tried to compete with the big three that uh, really just have never taken off. Yeah, it's kind of surprising that Google couldn't pull it off because they are such a big tech giant. Like you think of Nintendo, like not a huge tech company. They're more they're a video game company mm-hmm. and a toy company. You've got Microsoft, who's a big tech company. And Sony, who they make they make tech and they make gadgets too, so like it it kind of fits like in terms of company type. But Google is like just an inf- it's an information company. It, yeah. It's everything they do have a lot of failed projects. They have a lot of successful projects too. Uh, this was one of those things though that right when it was announced, everyone saw the nails in the coffin right yes. away. Like it was pretty much more not if it will last. It was when will it not. When will it not be around anymore, basically? <laughs> so three years is the answer. Got to say, a lot longer than I thought it would be. Um, longer than the Gizmondo. Longer than the Gizmondo. I think it lasted longer than the Ouya, if you remember when that <laughs> came out. It's just weird when these little yeah. things come pop, pop up every so often, and it's like, just just stay down. Um, but yeah, it was an interesting concept, streaming mm. games. Not something I'm interested in. I'm much more interested in having the disc, having the cartridge, having the game downloaded to my device. Streaming is not something that I ever see myself doing with video games. It's not the same as streaming music and movies uh, to yep. me. I like to own my video games still. Yep. Maybe someday that will change. But uh, for now, Google, thank you so much. It's been fun, but uh, we'll see you next time. <laughs> we will see you next week. <laughs> what a nice young man. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Google, for coming on today. And uh, thank you to Victor, who has been a great help to us, of course, throughout this entire podcast experience. Uh, he does our intro, of course, it's, uh, and he does our jingle. When Neil said, says, uh, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. And mm-hmm. Victor will also be doing a little jingle for us later in the show because, Neil, we are hitting... 500 games in this episode wow that's crazy i it feels like it uh it does feel like it but still like just to think like we're now in our last 55 games uh to cover Mm -hmm. Uh, it'll be over before you know it but uh 500 games that's crazy i'm so excited that we're not close to finishing but just we're close to accomplishing a goal that we set out to basically know a little bit about every single GameCube game and read the back of all the cases and and just have some information on every single GameCube game in the North American library. It's so crazy to think that we're in the last... 10% 10% now of the games. 500 is just unreal. So congratulations, Mike. Uh, you've done a good job. <laughs> oh, thank you. Well, you as well, Neil. And uh, I'd like to take listeners back to our other milestones that we've had on this podcast. Of course, we had 400 games hit with Need for Speed Underground on episode 88. For 300 games was Pool Paradise for episode 61. Uh, 200 games was Nicktoons Unite. Uh, that was episode 37, and 100 games was Tony Hawk Pro Skeeter 3 for episode 16. So uh, it's interesting kind of how long it takes us to hit 100 each time. Uh, only 16 episodes to hit 100 the first time. Uh, I, that was kind of, we didn't we didn't really know what we were doing yet. And so, that was when we were doing sometimes 12 games an episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was peak COVID. We had way more time on our hands. It's true. <laughs> we also were doing 20 games for a couple of those. That was Oof. insane. Uh, and we also kind of refined how we talk about these games and we talk about the franchises a lot more as well now, mm-hmm. So, which is a lot yeah. of fun and we enjoy it a lot more uh, in yeah. this format. Uh, 21 to hit uh, 200, so 21 
21 more games after the 16. Uh, then we had 24 to hit 300, 27 to hit 400, then 26 to hit 500. So okay. we're, we're averaging around, you know, 100 games per 25 episode. That's That that's averages to about 4.4 games per episode. That's pretty good. I, we were talking about this recently just off the microphone, but like 4.4 4 is, is good. I, I think... An episode like twelve is just unrealistic nowadays with your and my schedule. So we're, we're we like you said we have refined the formula quite a bit where we don't do an astronomical amount of games. We like to talk about each game a little bit more thoroughly. Mm-hmm. Have callers come on to talk about it, talk about the franchises in general, just to just to kind of get a little bit of a history about it. I would like to go back and maybe do that with some of the franchises that we covered that we haven't had a chance to go back to again. Yeah. But we'll be getting to that in 2023, which is awesome. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those are all really good games too. Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3, Pool Paradise, Need for Speed Underground, Nicktoons Unite, not a bad game. Definitely the weakest one of the four, but still, like, it's kind of cool to go back and be like, oh yeah, Pool Paradise, you know, yeah, Tony Hawk. Like, it's just so crazy how many of these games that uh, that we've covered. I know, it is funny to look back on some of these. I'm like, oh yeah, that's right, we, we did cover it. I was yeah. actually, I had a conversation with a colleague of mine who um, was bringing up uh, some of these, the the bowling games on the GameCube, uh, Strike Force Bowling. Yeah. And it just was like, they brought up a bowling game from the early 2000s. So like, yeah, I used to play that all the time when I was a kid. I was like is it strike force bowling? And they're like, Oh yeah. I was like, yeah, I, I weirdly know some stuff about that game. I can talk to you about it. But yeah. yeah. Cause like you said, we kind of know a little bit about 500 GameCube games now. Yeah. It's kind of hard to bring like fun facts and like the release dates out of my mind, but still it is fun to find a case in a video game store or see a game at a Goodwill or something and be like, oh, yeah, this is that game from 2003. It's mm-hmm. developed by Heavy Iron Studios or whatever. <laughs> like, it's really yeah. cool to, like, under or to recognize developers and to uh, see cases and, and, you know, look at the back and be like, oh, yeah, this is the, the one that comes with the free movie pass or whatever. It's just so cool yeah. to see these little pieces of history from our history, too, um, and pop up in, in real life still. Like, we, we started this podcast now two and a half years ago, and mm-hmm. it's still, still relevant. Like, these GameCube games are... St- Price is still going up. People still yeah. talking about it. The enthusiast group is still very active on Facebook and everything. And and our listeners are very active too on Discord and they message us on a regular basis. We get great fan mail. So uh, let's keep the uh, the train rolling, Mike. What do you say we jump into today's episode? Let's jump into some Def Jam and Mortal Kombat, Neil. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 114 of the GameCube Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 499 games. Time to hit number 500. You can visit thegamecubewascool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. And Scorpion, he almost killed me. Ooh, very good. And uh, and Ludacris, I'm assuming, too. Uh, oh, yes, he helped a little bit, too. Good, good. Last week, we talked about the Panasonic Q. Yes, that's right, the little-known GameCube <laughs> DVD player with that beautiful reflective screen and LED lit-up ports. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are talking about one of the most renowned fighting games of all time in the history of video games, a franchise founded back in 1992 and has gone through many ups and downs, uh, dipped its toe in movies, comic books, novels, stage shows, and countless examples of merchandise, and also some of the most iconic video game quotes of all time, such as Fatality and Finish Him, and even its own name itself, Mortal Kombat. 
Uh, so we're also going to be talking about some other fighting games today, like the Def Jam series and Fight Night. Uh, so, Mike, I guess before we have our callers join the show, what is your history or your memories of playing 2D fighting games on the on, on the GameCube or other consoles? Oh, good question, Neil. Yeah, I mean, uh, so I have a relative amount of experience playing these games, not really on the GameCube, uh, because these were games that I wasn't allowed to have for obvious mm. reasons right. <laughs> as a 10 year old. And so I played a lot of them on different consoles, like on the PS2. I had a friend who had a PS2 and he was really big into Super Smash Bros. And so, of course, we played Smash on the PS2. No, we played, we played <laughs> Smash on his GameCube. But he, uh, we would also play some other fighting games on the PS2 that he had. And that includes Tekken. That includes nice. Mortal Kombat, Street mm-hmm. Fighter uh, f- 3, I believe. or Well, no, that's the SNES game. I think we played 4 at some point later. Uh, but 4 uh, makes sense, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then we, uh, of course, played some Mortal Kombat. And he also had Def Jam Fight for New York. And I loved playing Mortal Kombat Deception. That came out, uh, it was at 2005, we'll, we'll obviously be talking about it, but this one was so much fun to me, and it, it was so different from what I had played before. I had played a bit of the 2D Mortal Kombats, and I I liked them, you know, but they were basically like Street Fighter. They were kind of mm-hmm. all in the same vein at that point, and Deception was so cool, and completely blew my mind for the 3D side of things. I know that uh, uh, Deadly Alliance was the first 3D game, and obviously we'll talk about that, but De- mm-hmm. Deception was the first one I played, and that was really, really cool. But uh, I remember Fight for New York really well, too, because uh, I, the same friend was also pretty into hip-hop in that scene, and I got into it a little bit with him as well. I uh, didn't, don't know it as well as uh, some other uh, folks who would probably be playing these games, but I still enjoyed it. I still knew a lot of the characters, like Flava Flav and Ghostface Killer. Henry <laughs> Rollins was in this game yes. for some reason, and I knew him from <laughs> just knowing the punk scene at that time. Mm-hmm. But um, uh, that was like such an insane game to me when I was a kid. I couldn't believe it existed. I still can't believe it existed. It's kind of crazy. It's a gem. It, it's a gem, for sure. It's a gem, and I'm going to talk about it a, a thousand times over, so I'm not going to waste my talking about it Good. right here. <laughs> uh, and these other games that we'll be talking about, which are uh, Black and Brews, Knockout Kings, and Fight Night Round 2, which are all kind of boxing games. Those mm-hmm. ones I never played because I played Wii Boxing, Neil. That was my uh, boxing game of choice. That was the boxing game to end all boxing games, really man. Was. Like ev- Everybody knows Wii Boxing. Like Anybody you know born in the late 90s, mid- even mid-90s, like into the 2000s, you had a Wii, you had Wii Sports, so you had... You had Wii Boxing, and that really did kind of kill the boxing genre, really. Like, yeah. I know that there are still occasionally boxing games that come out, but this was kind of the last time when you saw multiple boxing games on a console, really. Like, now yes. we still have wrestling games, for sure, but we're here to talk today more a little bit about 2D arcade fighters, for the most part, which, for me, my, my history with them... Uh, I did have an SNES back in the day, but we didn't have Street Fighter. We didn't have Mortal Kombat on there for whatever reason. Uh, we did have, uh, what was it called? Rise of the Robots, I think. I think was the name of it, which is apparently not a very good game. Mm-hmm. It's actually on a lot of lists of like the worst SNES games of all time. <laughs> uh, but I actually really liked it. Uh, just because it was the only 2D fighting game we had. Uh, but we did have a few 2D beat-em-up games. Like, we had Final Fight 3, we had Separation Anxiety. Uh, so that, like, the gameplay of those games is 
somewhat similar to a Street Fighter game, especially Fight Night. Yes. Or especially Final Fight, where you've got these characters. I think some of them are even from Street Fighter. I could be mistaken. I am not a Street Fighter fan, obviously, but <laughs> we played those games to death, like yeah. fighting against boss fights and uh, using different characters and like playing multiplayer and co-op and everything that... Those games kind of ruined me for 2D fighting games because when I finally did get to go and play a Street Fighter game or a Mortal Kombat or Tekken or any of the other games you mentioned there, I was like, oh, you you only get to fight one other person? Like, this is boring. I wanted to fight multiple waves of enemies. I wanted to go progress through a level. I wanted to pick up pipes and barrels and throw them at bosses and throw them at enemies and level up and collect food or whatever. I didn't want to fight one person on this static screen. Yeah. I just didn't. I wasn't a part of that that community i didn't have that growth i didn't have that history with these games so unfortunately for me whenever i go and play a mortal Kombat game i'm in it for the finishing moves really how I, graphic it gets same here <laughs> yeah like i think that's what a lot of people are and any any really fighting game it's like oh is there a finishing move no okay i'm not gonna watch it then or i'm not gonna play it that's another one of the huge selling points of smash bros is watching the final smashes like we loved that when super smash bros 4 came out on wii u I remember we used to love the Yoshi, like the Yoshi ones are always my favorite, but just like the horde of Yoshis like <laughs> flying over people. It's incredible. But yeah, like those types of things are really cool. And obviously Mortal Kombat is very renowned for that uh, to the point where it created video game ratings in terms of being rated T, being rated E, E10+, plus M. Uh, we have, we have uh, Mortal Kombat to thank for that, which we're going to talk about quite mm-hmm. a bit later, but yeah, unfortunately for me, the 2D fighting and just fighting games in general are not really something that I'm super interested in. Even preparing for the episode this week, like I love doing research on some of these games that I had never heard of. Like Def Jam is a really cool hidden gem that I had seen in video game stores before, not really knowing what it was yeah. until now. And now it's like like I want them basically. Even <laughs> they are very expensive, which is too bad. Yeah, I feel like I found them 20 years too late. And But even something like Fight Night Round 2, which you see everywhere, uh, is another one of these little hidden gems on the GameCube and uh, Knockout Kings is also also has some like weird facts about it. So there, there's a lot of cool history in these fighting games that are just unfortunately I am not I'm not used to playing them. So I just don't know anything about them. And I don't have the I don't have the time or the the will to uh, get good at them. <laughs> that's that's fair, Neil. But we do have some people on today who have played these games back in the day and, um, and enjoyed them a lot and probably can talk a little bit more than we can, especially about the Def Jam games. So joining us today are uh, Marty and Brian, two friends of the show. Let's bring on Marty first. Marty, how are you today? And first of all, who is your favorite character in Def Jam Vendetta? DMX. Obviously, it's DMX. <laughs> he had the best, like, he would just, like, literally growl and stuff. He had the best sounds. <laughs> it was sweet. And, like, yeah, I don't know, like, obviously, the the game is, like, like is, like, licensed to the nines, but, like, when you just see DMX, like, just doing things that not only he would, like, say, but also just doing songs. <laughs> it was a sick finishing move. I can't remember it now, but it was pretty good. I also played as Ludacris, too. Ludacris was good. Very good. It's so crazy how they were able to get all of these hip-hop artists and some actors together to do these things. It sounded like a lot of them were into the idea. I just can't see something like this happening today. Like, can you imagine? I can't even name two rap artists right now, but like, imagine <laughs> like, like Kanye West. Kanye we West would be in this. One. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's oh, true. definitely. He would have to be. But like, they have such big like the egos are just different. I feel like that the whole community around these artists is just different. But like to bring together 40 uh, hip hop artists of today to basically knock each other out in the street. Like it, it's I feel like that they wouldn't allow their likeness to be beaten to 
beaten to near death in some alleyway or in some <laughs> some stadium. It's just too That's bad true. that they're not into it. But like the like the way that like their one liners when they come out onto the stage were all so good. It was like watching a comic book video game, like a Marvel game, but with Honestly. with a uh, DMX, like you said, or Ludacris, or like whoever Ghostface Killer was in there. Like just random characters from like the t- '90s and 2000s. Snoop Dogg is in there too. Like it's just such a wacky idea that could not get made today. It was just, it, I mean, but it, like at the time it made total sense to sell this thing, right? Yes. Like, yeah. Yeah. just like wrestling question mark. Like how do you, <laughs> how do you like sell it if it doesn't have anything to do with, with WWE at the time or WWF, I guess is when it, maybe, mm-hmm. no, no, I would have just changed the WWE. Just, yeah. yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I just feel like this, it like is totally of a time, but it totally works. And folks, you can play as ludicrous. Why wouldn't you want to do that? <laughs> why wouldn't you want to do it? And Neil, why don't you give us the actual intro of this game? Sure thing. Def Jam Vendetta was released on March 31st, 2003. That's game number 500. Whoa, thank you, Victor, for that little jingle. Uh, 500 games officially now, Neil. We've hit 500. Wow, that's awesome. Here's to another 500 games, Mike. Yeah, let's keep it going. It's developed by the AKI Corporation and EA Canada. It's published by EA Sports Big. Big. And it's also on PS2. Rates an 8 out of 10. Priced today at around $55. It's a fighter brawler. And it's made by the same developers, if you recognize the name AKI Corporation. We talked a lot about them on our wrestling episode. They are the same developer who make the or who made the WWF No Mercy game on the N64. So you know this is going to be a quality fighting game. Wow, that's awesome. Here's to another 500 games, Mike. Okay. Yeah, I'll figure something out there. All right. Yeah. If- no Mercy is a great game. I'm not sure if you ever played it, Marty. Oh, man, but it's the uh, best. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like far and away. And you play other ones from that era, and it's like immediately I can't do it. Like I can't fi- I can't play anything other than that if that's not from that era. And it's just like you. They clearly just took kind of the the essence of those games from the N64 era and brought them successfully to the GameCube and like Vendetta sold very well. This game sold like Gamebusters. 1.8 million units was the total combined sales of the Def Jam series. At this time, like 2006, this is a lot. This is a lot of, a lot of units moved for a very random game like this. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, Neil. I'm going to, I'm just going to butt in here and tell the stats because I have it up on my screen. It's my showdown. It was the, so that this is somehow the 82nd highest selling game of this gen. Yeah. Wow. So it's uh, actually two spots behind Super Monkey Ball 2. Oh, wow. That's actually a good way to like think about for it. For GameCube reference. Interesting. Now that's all. Sorry. That's across Sorry to PS- do that. I just, I had it here. I had to do it. <laughs> that's good to know. 82, so this is Def Jam Vendetta or is that Fight for New York? Def Jam Vendetta across Vendetta. Uh, PS2 and GameCube. That's incredible. I would like to know like what other GameCube games that I would sold. I bet a lot and probably ones that you would not suspect, which is awesome. Uh, but it's just crazy that this is a low-key marketing gimmick for a like a recording label for Def Jam Recordings. Yep. It's a it's basically like the Cabela's, the Cabela's hunting games that we talked about. Like this is just like that. It's meant to kind of get you invested in these hip hop artists under the Def Jam label uh, to maybe sell some records. I don't know how many people uh, bought like Public Enemy records after playing Def Jam Vendetta. But Marty, did you uh, did this get you into any music back in the day? I mean, at the time, I didn't really have access to like good Internet to actually get to some of the stuff. But I do remember <laughs> the soundtrack really well. I, yeah, like, I, yeah. And I would remember that was like another huge pull for it all total. So yeah, for sure I had that element. And also, I mean, it's just like, yeah, like you mentioned a branding exercise. That is really good to like 
because I don't know now you're like now you understand okay like Def Jam huge label and such an iconic thing but like for children you're like okay now I can actually associate like Ludacris with that right or like DMX yeah. where you're like or mm-hmm. Ghostface Killer where you're like before you're just like these are just people right you don't really understand the the context until you do some reading or you watch the movie uh, the movie that came out the Compton movie I think. Straight out of Compton. Well, no, you gotta watch. You gotta watch Eight Mile. Uh, back right. then, that that would have been like 2002. So the Def Jam cinematic universe back then. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it it is just a, a really interesting kind of uh, experiment. Uh, it, uh, what I think of for this game, actually, I, even more so for Fight for New York, is very much like a Thug uh, Tony Hawk Underground uh, atmosphere on how it was created, how the movesets are, are work, how the gameplay works. Now, in Vendetta, it is mostly just kind of like a wrestling game underneath, uh, for the most yeah. part. Like, it's it, uh, Fight for New York is a bit more complex, but Vendetta is definitely just a wrestling game through and through. And a good story mode, though. A very good story mm-hmm. mode. Uh, and, yeah. and there were a lot of good incentives in that game for you to continue the story mode and try to beat it. Could you, so. uh, could you tell us a little bit about the, the story, Marty? What, what were some of those incentives, too? Please tell us. You do, you do, you do well in it, and like you're like whatever, like fourteen, and you're like you you do well, and then they're like, hey, like here's like this thing, and you're like, interesting, okay, I'm gonna keep doing well. That's all I'll say about it. I think if you if you know, you know. I don't. I look. I I wanna I wanna respect the GameCube was cool, um, mm-hmm. and its listeners by by not disclosing too much information about. So that. what? What Marty is talking about is that during the game, there, it's but I'll let like you a, do it. I'll let sure, you. I, I'm a host. I can say whatever the heck I want. But there's basically this collectathon, or I guess you spend money and you unlock these photographs, if you will. Throughout the story, you basically earn is probably the wrong way to say it, but you amass a uh, history. Okay, that's of, also not of, a good word for that. Either. Amass a history of women, I suppose, is how you can say it. <laughs> you get girlfriends along the way, and they can actually fight over you too, which is awesome. Uh, but part of uh, being in any relationship, I suppose, is that you collect pictures of these women, which uh, some of them can be, you know, somewhat you know, headshots or whatever, you know, maybe some bikini pictures here and there, some nice outfits. But some of them some of them do get a little bit risque after a while to the point where this is kind of like OnlyFans, like 20 years before OnlyFans. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, you would you would you would have your girlfriend in game and then, yeah, you would get those images. And I feel I think at, by the end of it, if you if you beat the game, you would unlock all of them. Don't ask why I know that. Um, yeah, Marty's got was, the platinum yeah. for this game, even though it doesn't have a platinum. Yeah, 100 yeah, percent completion. All done. Yeah, it was uh, that was that was an interesting concept as well, because they had like the like the models. Okay, look, the, the people, <laughs> there were people they were that real like, people had their pictures, likeness yeah. in the game, but then also the images, right? You're just like, oh, I was kind of like very immersive. The game also like, okay, I, I don't want to sidetrack too much. The game was also like, it looked really nice. Like I was looking at footage again today and be like, yeah, this game is actually like, is like quite good in, in its appearance outside of images of women <laughs> that you could get for doing a good job. Yeah, you don't need to spend $55 on a GameCube game to get those types of images anymore. But uh, for if you're 12 years old... Do you have many like Zoomers that listen to this? <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we, we, we got we got like a good Gen Z crowd. Yeah. Okay, can I break the fourth wall for, yeah. the, for the Zoomers? Please. Okay. Uh, yeah, so there was a time when... There was a time when like, you know, Billie Eilish has like a famous quote about this. There was a time when like you just... You couldn't, you didn't really have good access. Like you didn't. And like, I mean that in like, okay, you didn't really have like, not what like your parents would talk about, like not like boomers and stuff, but like you just genuinely like felt like you were scraping the barrel a little bit. Uh, 
before the internet or before the internet was like any good. Uh, now you have all now now you have it all, which is probably bad according to Billie Eilish. But this was a good case of like you just had a little bit and you're like, okay, this is this is like maybe the best thing I've ever experienced in my life. And it'll never get so. better than these these twenty six images that I can <laughs> like, like set up unlocked and I'm like looking at like my like uh, my like red, white and yellow, whatever, like uh like terrible small TV. Yeah, your ten inch tube TV. This is the clearest yeah, exactly. image of a woman I'll ever see in my life. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still to this day. Still to this day. <laughs> that is a big part of the game though, but there is a pretty good wrestling system under it all. Mm-hmm. Uh and a good campaign, like you said featuring a lot of uh, neat characters. Even the uh, voice actor for the, um, I guess, the big boss, D-Mob, is uh, voiced by Christopher Judge, who is Kratos in the original God of War games. So they did oh, get wow. some... Yeah, they did get some pretty big video game voice actors too. So in terms of acting and characters, like this game does have quite a bit there. One thing that I think was missing, which is a little bit too bad in the campaign, kind of taking it a little bit away from Tony Hawk Underground, is that there isn't really... Uh, a lot of character customization in this one. Uh, this is the game, I believe, where you only get to pick from the pre-rendered characters. I think there's four different characters, if I'm correct. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah, so you have your uh, dishonorably discharged soldier. Uh, you have an ex-super biker racer. You have a massive Japanese fighter and DJ Spider. Uh, the next game does have a little bit more customization there. So this game would have been a little bit better, I think, if you could have uh, made some, you know, 500-pound uh, bearded men uh, running around doing uh, doing cool moves. <laughs> I, that's what every wrestling game needs. It needs a character customization to that level. Even like some of the worst wrestling games, and I played a bunch of them on the N64. Yep. Even the absolute worst ones had like pretty in-depth character customization to the point where you're like you're editing very small aspects of their uniform to change color. And yep. if like they were mismatched in any way, it would look terrible. Like you would see the pixels on it. <laughs> but they were like, they clearly like that was so baked into this WCW game. They're like, we need to have this. Because yeah, you're right, Neil. That is like such an important part. I mean, that's kind of like, that's where customization really started with was those kind of games. Like, like the wrestling games of that era. And so it's kind of funny to see it take off like especially took off of course with tony hawk and the customization that you can do in those games is just insane yeah uh, customization not just to your character but to the the courses and everything like that so yeah that would be like kind of a, a con i guess of a vendetta uh but it's still a, a really fun game for the most part it, it's definitely hard to go back to in some ways <laughs> today i mean the- it's not it's not <laughs> if you look at the right places it's not that hard to go if back you go to the right menu screen mike it's yeah. quite welcoming actually oh, yes. <laughs> but uh one thing i did want to say that that's gonna actually tie well to the next game here uh is the character voice acting is amazing in yep. this game and both games uh and uh neil you have the notes here clear and you're right it's very clear it reminds me of soul caliber in terms of the the audio mixing it just like does not sound compressed the actors sound like they oh, actually try to true. do it correctly like yep. uh, marty i know you have played the nba 2k and uh in some of those games i'm not sure how they are now but the career mode, uh, and Brian's going to come on and talk a little bit about this too, I'm sure. But the career mode, the the way that they talk is so like stagnant. It doesn't feel yeah. like they have any emotion in their voices. Uh, where uh, Def Jam, both of these games, like you could tell every like each actor really, really wanted to do this and wanted to do their best, uh, like their best job at these voices. And maybe this like maybe this sort of predated like a sort of a modern context of like if like their label and like a lot of people that they knew were into this, then like, of course, they'd be like totally gung ho in a way that like maybe like a streamer would be now. Right. Where yeah. it's like I'm yeah. going to pour my heart into this because like because they know that like, 
oh, like all like everyone that I know and everyone I respect is in this. So like, and it's like obviously people you've surrounded yourself with. That might be it. I mean, like, yeah, you're 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 totally right about the voice acting again. Like, I can't underscore how sick and like rest in peace, DMX. But he like he like he was the best to play because he would just like he would literally just like do the things from the song. I know. Yeah. Like, and you could tell he just like voiced that one day. You're like, this is so awesome. <laughs> like, it's like it totally is like a it, not to use this expression again, but it does kind of like break the fourth wall in a way or makes like music more immersive at a time yes. where like that was like such a that was such a goal. Right. Yeah, I really don't know how they got the voices to sound that clear. I had to like pause everything I was doing when I went, when they started talking to each other through the crowds, even the crowds and the announcing, like the announcer are all really great. Like the way they react to the moves that you do, the crowd counting down the pins and everything is really cool. But when the uh, fighters started talking to each other, I was like, how did they do this on GameCube? Because we have covered a lot 500 games approximately Mm -hmm. now. And like a couple weeks ago, we talked about cars like Owen Wilson sounded terrible. We've talked about the Spider-Man games like Tobey Maguire sounded like he was mailing it in. These guys, none of them were mailing it in. And just the overall quality. Like, I don't know how they couldn't have got... Whoever was doing the sound for this game should do all the GameCube games because the voice <laughs> acting is terrific and the sound quality is top-notch. I guess that was with Def Jam Recordings. Maybe they just did everything in a recording studio and then sent it to EA Big and was like, use this. We're not using your crappy mics. Right? <laughs> Probably. Well, with that, Neil, I'd like to welcome on our second guest of the show, uh, Brian, friend of the show, Brian. We are very excited to have him here. He's been on the line listening. So, uh, uh, Marty, I'm glad you didn't uh, trash talk Brian uh, while we are here. But, uh, Brian, welcome. Uh, and our first question to you would be, who is your favorite character in the Def Jam series? I I think I would go with Exhibit. I just like the way he like tries to knock out people by punching people in the head <laughs> and the butt at the same time. Like, this stuff gets so ridiculous, man. Like, just the just the... The way you can knock out people, I think you can nutshot people with, uh, I forgot who it was, but like there's all these random things, but like, yeah, I was always told Exhibit was like really strong, so I really like Exhibit, and the fact that you get people, hit people in the butt and the head at the same time is cool. <laughs> you literally sat on them. I think you like sat on them like on on their back and you would just like go ground and pound in a very unique way. So. Well, I mean, I, I don't know if you heard, but Marty's favorite is DMX, so who do you think wins between DMX and Exhibit? There is a tier list for this stuff. <laughs> nice. Um, is there actually? Well, there it, this this game actually is like there is a competitive environment for yes. this game. Yes. Um, wow. There are side tournaments for Def Jam. Uh, <laughs> That's so, awesome. Like Sticky Fingers is really strong. Um, mm. Red Man is really strong. Snoop Dogg is really strong. To answer your question, I don't know because a lot of the characters are really broken in this game, and then like most like most of them are viable, and then like and then there's like the other the other people that. You probably shouldn't play with unless you really just want to have fun. But there is a yeah, there are there there is a competitive community. Uh, I believe they play on Dolphin probably. nowadays. Mm, makes sense. And then I played it th- recently through Parsec, mm. which uh, for anyone who doesn't know what Parsec is, uh, so ba- basically it's like a desktop emulator. And so if one person, let's say, has the Def Jam game or or the image or whatever, and they load up and load up the game uh, through an emulator I can control I can plug in my controller from my desktop and it'll recognize that as player two and I can play with my um, controller on my end and there's actually no delay there's virtually what? no delay that's crazy wow. so par- parsecs actually use a lot for any game that doesn't have rollback uh, uh, connection yeah yeah net code um, so that's how you do it <laughs> and so there's actually certain games like uh, I'm gonna just because my friend does this through Parsec, he plays Marvel vs. Capcom uh, Ultimate Three, 
And he uh, he does it through Parsec, or basically a lot of people do, do it through Parsec because playing it through Parsec is actually better than playing it through the online mode itself. Wow. Well, with that, I do have to say farewell to Marty. He has to leave us. Uh, can't talk about Def Jam anymore, Marty. Is there anything else you'd like to say before we let you go? No, that's it. I just I I just need to go play Def Jam real quick. Sorry. Let's parsec it up. I don't know. <laughs> Brian, this might have been... Okay, that's fine. You'll listen back to this. <laughs> He's not going to play Def Jam, but anyway, have fun, Marty. Have fun. But yeah, no, that's like... And that's pretty cool that you have a game like Def Jam Fight for New York that still has a following, still clearly mm-hmm. a, a fun and interesting game that is able to... Uh, to have a community around it who wants to actually play it with Parsec because that sounds, yeah, if you don't have rollback netcode, like Smash, of course, uh, from the show Dan came on on the Melee episode and explained what rollback netcode was to us. I still don't understand it, but it seemed like it works and is a good way to do things. And, of course, the baseball game, Super Mario Baseball, uh, also has that that, uh, process working for it, I guess, the online. So... Uh, it's crazy. I'm glad that these games, you know, 20 years on, still have these communities and people are still working hard to to keep them up. Brian, in this online community, I got to know, because like, I would love for something like this to exist today. I just feel like it's not possible. We talked a little bit about that with Marty. Are there any mods in this community? I guess you can't really do it, right? Because it's a PS2 GameCube game. But like, has anybody found a way to kind of put new characters in these games? Not that... I've I've never aggressively looked for FGM <laughs> mods, uh, considering the game actually just looks like a fan-made mod I know. Game. It already <laughs> looks like one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's so true. It's basically like if uh, WWF No Mercy was left untouched and somebody just made this game with rest with pro uh, rappers and a few actors thrown in there. Like, it's Okay, there are people who made create create characters in Tekken 7 for them, but like that that doesn't count. True. No. Um, True. <laughs> yeah, apparently there actually is a mod. There's an LA mod. I don't know what that really entails. I'd have to Fight for LA. But uh, <laughs> I think for the most part, I would say no. Yeah. Well, Neil, why don't you give us the stats of this game and we can talk about it even more. All right, sounds good. But first, since, uh, since Marty's gone, I do have to say one thing. What mm. a nice young man. Oh, yes, what a nice young man. Sure, mm-hmm. whatever. Yeah, yeah well... It, Anyway, Def Jam Fight for New York was released on September 20th, 2004. It's developed again by AKI Corporation and EA Canada. It's published by EA Games, not under the big brand this time around. It's also on PS2 and Xbox. Rates an 8.5 out of 10. Priced today at a whopping $200. Who knew a fighting game could be worth that much on the GameCube? It's a fighting wrestling game again. And there also is a PSP version called Def Jam Fight for New York The Takeover. And uh, we brought Brian on today to talk about this game because this is one that he played. And I believe that of the two, this is probably the more fleshed out wrestling game. I mean, it definitely is. Uh, This game introduced a lot of interesting new fighting styles that the previous game did not have. Uh, Basically, you could kind of pick the fighting style of your character before each match started. You could pick street fighting, kickboxing, martial arts, wrestling, and submissions. Uh, You could actually pick a combination of fighting styles too. So Brian, did you have a preferred combination of fighting styles that you would play with? I mean, this game is so violent, there's no way I'm going submission. <laughs> but, um, you know, we're going street brawling all the way. I mean, like, you can yeah. get, like, the crowds to hold your opponent. And yep. You, like, you know, knock the snot out of them and all that kind of stuff and perform, try to perform KOs from there. I'm not very good at this game because I'm not going to be a competitive Def Jam player. <laughs> but <laughs> but all I can say is that the fights are very long. Yeah. Um, at least for me. like Because uh, you have two separate health bars in the sense that, like, you, you can recover HP while you're you know, while you're walking around in, right. in the ring. And, and I think, I believe in order to actually finish someone, you really do have to knock them out. 
or in my case, my friend threw me onto the subway tracks and I got run over by the subway, <laughs> subway car. <laughs> and and that's, that's one of my favorite awesome. parts about this game is the environment kills and like yeah. the environment uh, uh, and, and settings that you can kind of use to your advantage. Uh, that's something I had not a lot of an idea about because I did play this back in the day a little bit, but playing it again this week to 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 get into it, uh, I did the same thing, Brian. I immediately threw the guy on the subway tracks <laughs> to kill him. I was playing as uh, as Ghostface Killer, and uh, yeah, it's 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 such a like I, an early example, I guess, actually, of using in, like the environment properly because games in in the early two thousands, like environment uh, destruction and stuff like that, was pretty rare. And the, and the spectators getting involved, too, was yes. hilarious. Like, this game definitely earns its M rating, no doubt. Like, this could have easily <laughs> have been in our M-rated episode, which uh, we wanted to keep it here because it needs more uh, light. But I love the fact that, like, the spectators will hand a fighter a weapon. Like, if they... If, and then you can use that weapon against the person you're fighting with, which is awesome. And, like, the, the audience will even, like, f- attack you uh, if you're too close to them. They'll yeah. push you back into the fight if you're trying to avoid your uh, your opponent for too long. It's kind of like you're in a in a mosh pit at a concert. It's it's really cool. I, I love the environments and the um, the way that they got the, the audiences involved here. Um, they also incorporated the momentum meter. I think you guys might have touched on that a little bit, but I love this. Uh, it gets boosted up while you're fighting or taunting the other, uh, the, your opponent but I love the fact that the rate of which your meter goes up or down is dependent on the clothing that you're wearing or the accessories that you you buy and use. It kind of reminds me of like a golf game almost or a sports game uh, where like in Mario Golf, if you wear special shoes, you can run faster or uh, in, in any of these other games, even the most recent Mario uh, Strikers game, you can you can upgrade your gear. I can't believe that they put that in a street fighting brawler game with rappers. I think that's so cool. There's just so many ways that you can make the perfect combination of fighter and accessories in this game. There's clearly like a lot of different stats that you could tweak. So I can I can clearly see how there's a deep competitive community around this. I would love it to come back into the uh into the limelight. Maybe see it at Evo one day. Who knows? <laughs> oh my god, Def Jam at Evo. That'd be great. Uh, so of course there are tons of characters uh in this game. Uh Brian mentioned a couple already, but uh, I just want to go through some of the big names. Uh, we have different crews in this game, of course. We have D-Mob's crew, uh, which contains Flava Flav, Ghostface Killa, Henry Rollins for some reason, uh, Ludacris, <laughs> Method Man, Red Man, Sticky Fingers, uh, Crow's crew, which is Snoop Dogg, uh, is Bone Crusher, Buster Rhymes, Fat Joe, Ice-T, Prodigy, Sean Paul, Slick Rick, Exhibit, Brian's favorite. Uh, others include uh, Little Kim, uh, Kamora Lee Simmons, uh, Danny Trejo, the actor, and Carmen Electra is in this game. So just uh, 67 playable characters, guys. That's 67. Crazy. Uh, just to give you a reference point in that sense, 26 playable characters in Mortal Kombat Deception, 25 in Melee, 24 in Tekken 4, 25 in Street Fighter. So, wow, pretty crazy. Is this the most then? This must be the most of any fighting game on, on the GameCube, I think. Yes. Uh, definitely at this time for sure yeah but yeah brian what are your first memories of this game kind of what are your initial you know i played this when i was probably 10 or 11 years old when i probably shouldn't have been but uh, what are your what are your first memories of it so i was definitely not allowed to play that game at that age you're pretty lucky but um i went to friends houses (laughs) (laughs) yeah i don't know how they got their hands on that especially at the time you thought literally i I would imagine you'd have to walk into like the store and prove that you were of that age at the time nobody really does yeah. that anymore yeah i mean this came out at like 2004 so this is when like hip-hop was really outrageous like a little not outrageous like over the top and 
Um, and this game made you feel really immersed in, in that kind of hip-hop culture at the time. Uh, even if you weren't, like, had no interest in, in that, like, you, the, the, uh, like, I think you guys had mentioned, like, the voice acting was, was right there. Um, just, like, the visuals and the story made you really feel like you were part of the gang and you had to, you know, fight your way to, you know, gain notoriety and gain supremacy. So, uh, I think the immersion of that, like, really, really catches your eye and, even if you didn't know, I mean, I think at 10 years old, I probably would have no idea who, like, some of these people are. Like, I would have no idea who Bubba Sparks was or something like that. But, like, <laughs> but it does make you interested, like, as you, as you keep, because these yeah. are real life people. And you, you can, you can, you can, like, look in, look up, uh, you know, not only their music, but just who they are and, and that kind of stuff. And even get into it further than that. So I feel like if I, if that happened to me, I feel like a lot of people also you know, got really into it, uh, based on the culture and, and, and got into mm-hmm. some of the, the pe- some, some of the characters as because they're just because they're real life people. It's a community aspect for me. Uh, like this very much felt like this whole game and, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, Neil, but like, it felt like it was very much a, a tight knit hip hop community that was creating this game. Yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a tight knit community of hip hop fans and artists making something that they can all collectively enjoy. And we do live in a time now where there are a lot of these crossover kind of games, if you will, but it's all based on fictional things. Like it's all, we have, we had the most recent, uh, what was it? The DC or the, not DC, uh, Warner Bros fighters. And we had Mm -hmm. Nickelodeon fighters and we have Nintendo doing their crossover fighters. And Sony did theirs like 10 years ago now, but it seems like that we've gotten away from doing these crossovers based on real people like brian said he does he did all this research on these hip-hop artists and maybe it got him him and marty into into new music and we talked about tony hawk a billion times on this podcast it got kids into skateboarding and and people into punk music and ska and underground like music and everything even metal in some cases uh i feel like that type of exploration and discovery in video games isn't there anymore unless you're just looking to discover the Ninja Turtles for the billionth time. Like, I don't know what any of these games are really introducing anybody to it. It was fun to be a part of a time where video games taught us things about the outside world. Um, Marty even mentioned this too, like how we didn't have the internet back in the day. So he used Def Jam to look at pictures of women (laughs) and (laughs) discover new music more specifically. Uh, It'd be great to see that to come back again, where this is kind of like a way to show a younger generation or even us, like, like introduce me to some of these new characters. Like I would love a game like this to come out today. Cause I really don't know anything about hip hop except for the odd TikTok that I see. Like that, that's really all I know about hip hop is like little sound bites that I hear on the internet. So it'd be great to have a game introduce me to, to this type of a thing and build a community around it. But, um, we did get a sequel, uh, to Def Jam, uh, fight for New York, which came out in 2007 for the 360 and PS3 developed by EA Chicago. It's a very divisive game in the community. Uh, Brian, I don't know. Did you ever play this game? I've seen footage of it. It's it feels quite different for sure. Yep. Um, I don't remember the actual name of this game. Other icon. Than, yeah, Je- Def Jam Icon. Yeah, I, I've only ever seen footage. Um, and just immediately you just know, um, just like the art style, and I believe mm. you don't even. I don't. I can't even remember if you play with like, like mobs of other people like around you. And this one, it just feels like straight up one v one, one v one against someone else. Pretty yeah. much, they took a lot of the charm out of the original two games, which is too bad. And uh, since then, it's been fifteen years, and the series is pretty much on a hiatus. There was a random three sixty game. I think it was more like a DJ Hero kind of thing. Rap so star, not 
Def Rap Jam, Star. Rap Deep. Star. <laughs> that was it. Yeah, they did try and use the uh, the moniker of Def Jam at one point on another video game franchise. Did not go well. Uh, but since then, Def Jam has pretty much been uh, retired from video games. Uh, except for a tweet last or this year, actually, Neil, where it said June 2022. There's a pic from Def Jam's Twitter account that said, fight for Atlanta, L.A., Chicago, Miami, you decide. And then nothing happened. So <laughs> that can't be good. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I don't know. We'll see. But but uh, just back to fight for New York. So obviously those are some of your memories of, of playing it in that sense. What do you think makes this game better than Vendetta, I guess, in this sense? Like, you, you know about Vendetta. I know you haven't played it. But but what, what makes it even more unique? Uh, I think the roster for one, and mm-hmm. I, I remember the uh, like I mentioned, I think it was like sixty-seven. You said, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. yep. I can't say like most of that roster is viable, uh, <laughs> as, but like it doesn't really matter. Like your the idea is all like at the time you went over your buddy's house, you pick whoever the heck you wanted, and then you beat the snot out of them. So it really didn't matter who you picked. Um, although I will say apparently Masa is the worst character in the game with no positive traits whatsoever. That's apparently oh, okay. the side <laughs> community. So maybe don't pick that if you want to have a good time. Um, so who's S tier? Oh, there's multiple S. There's like S, S plus. There's Ban. Uh, okay, okay. Who, who's, who's the other than Exhibit? Who's the guy? Sticky Fingers, Suspect, Carmen Electra, Red Man. Yeah, yeah. Snoop Dogg. You, you heard it here. All right. Carmen Electra, I, I would play as. Don't, don't tell your friend this stuff. If you are, if you're like <laughs> in, introducing them this game, like just pick them, but don't say anything. Not that I think it's gonna matter, but. You know. <laughs> it would have been it would have been awesome if because EA this was the time when EA was playing really nice with Nintendo like Nintendo had their uh, Mario Peach and Luigi in uh, NBA Street it would have been awesome imagine playing this game like playing as Exhibit fighting against Luigi <laughs> this would have been so cool I mean Luigi would be dead oh yeah <laughs> can you imagine Mario and Snoop Dogg in the ring oh finally the the matchup we've been waiting for. It would be the craziest if they could do that. Like, bring this back to Switch and put Nintendo characters in there. Five million copies guaranteed sold. Day one. And with that, Brian, what do you think our chances are of getting a Def Jam or Fight for New York or some kind of sequel uh, to this game or even remaster in the future? Remaster would be interesting, but let, I, I mean, there has to be so many different licenses. I'm, I'm not yeah. really sure about that side of the business. Um, I would say as a... As a fan and, and a consumer, probably chances are quite low. Yeah. Um, I feel, although remaster is probably better than higher chances in the sequel. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I think it's just like the, all, all the licensing, the music, and y- you know, the fact that if you want a sequel, you need like a lot of people, real life people, for that matter, to right. buy in uh, for not only their likeness, but maybe also you know, you know, provide their voice to the game, which is also what made this really special. Because they were real people, they were real. Like they just played themselves, which is unreal. Right. So, yeah, I, I, I would, I would say it's pretty low. And I, I, I think this game came out in a period of time where, like I mentioned, that like hip hop was just what it was at the time, and it kind of amplified that, and it just made it very immersive in a video game format. Very much so. Yeah. Like it's, it's interesting to think about it in, the, in like a place in time in that sense, and. There, you can also watch the behind-the-scenes recording sessions for this game, which are pretty hilarious uh, to see because, again, like these guys are clearly so into it, and they are having so much fun. And I think quite a bit of the dialogue, too, is kind of just improvised. Like, when you start off uh, fights, one of my favorite things about this game is the taunting beforehand. And there's a lot of unique yeah, taunts right. that each character will say to each other before the game starts. And that's, like, such a cool little thing because... 
uh, when you're a kid fighting your like your friend in in the basement playing games like this, like Mortal Kombat or Street Fighter or anything, you are taunting your friend. You know, you're yeah. already taunting. So it was pretty cool to see this with uh, with Deft with uh, Fight for New York, and they kind of took it to another level. Uh, I also want to mention that uh, Danny Trejo does pull a gun on you in the in the uh, <laughs> in the campaign mode, which is unbelievable. Like he just rolls down the window and like just like shoot starts shooting at like you and your. Yeah, he's had like a little Uzi. Like, this, 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 <laughs> yeah, yeah, the kind of outrageous stuff in this game. So, you know, I don't think like there, there's people like that nowadays. People aren't hard as hell like that nowadays, especially like, rappers. So that's the other reason why it's probably not going to come up with a sequel. Like, how do you get? people like that again like yeah. it's just a period in time i feel very much as a time capsule yeah it's like the perfect combination of mortal Kombat mixed with bmx triple x mixed with double wwf no mercy like it's the perfect cross-section of those three types of games yeah like henry rollins teaches you how to yeah. fight randomly <laughs> like i don't even know why he's in the game like the, if you've never actually like heard of def jam in your life and like you just hear what we've been talking about or this entire episode you'd be like there's no way this game should have even existed, which it probably, I don't actually know how. It's just that we've been, we've been blessed with it. <laughs> you would just think passing it at the store that it's another fighter with hip hop yeah. music in it and nothing else. But it actually is this wacky game that is worth picking up. Unfortunately, you're a little too late on that. But uh, yeah, it's a, definitely a hidden gem on the GameCube for sure. It's a big shout out to EA though here. I don't say that too often, but big, big shout out to EA for believing in something like this and publishing it and uh, and obviously develop it, helping to develop it. Uh, EA Canada, of course. Thank you, EA Canada. Uh, but because uh, like, you know, can you imagine EA putting their name to something like this now? There's no, no chance that that would ever nope. happen. Maybe if there's like microtransactions upon microtransactions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah just like every fighter yeah. Snoop Dogg has his own like personal brand that you can buy in the game for like like small yep. amounts of money. Like that's probably what would happen now. But yeah, it's uh, it, I, I got to give them a lot of credit for taking a chance on on a franchise, you know, that really had no business being being good and selling well. Like the franchise sold well, too. That was uh, the big thing, and I think it's a great example of when you put a lot of love into something and you work, you know, hard as a collective, you can make something pretty great, and uh, that's what Fight for New York and just Def Jam in general was uh, at this time. Yeah, no, for sure. I don't really have too much else to say, but Mike, we still have to read the back of the case for these games. So should we do that with Brian on? Yeah, Brian can hear it. He can hear the 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 what. I, I'm really curious to hear what's in the back of these cases. <laughs> <laughs> right, let's go. I'm excited. All right, but first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Def Jam Vendetta. Money, power, respect. Cinematic story mode. Battle to the top with over 1,500 moves. Over 40 street brawlers. There's a character on the back here that looks a lot like Britney Spears. I'm not sure if that's who it's supposed to be, but uh, moving on. I'll let Marty answer that question <laughs> in the comments. Moving on to Def Jam, fight for New York. Fight for control of hip hop's underworld. Hit hard with five fighting styles. Watch your back, get crowds into the action. Own the streets with your Create a Fighter. Anything goes, bats, bottles, pipes, and more. Featuring more than 40 hip hop superstars. And then we have a huge list of the superstars on the back of the case as well. Uh, these are great backs of the cases, though, I will say. Do they have the lists of the of the stars on the back of Vendetta as well, or just on Fight for New York? 
Uh, just fight for New York. Nothing on the back of yeah. Vendetta. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, to be fair, there are more people for New York. Uh, definitely. Yep. Uh, I, I hope it also mentions Jacob the Jeweler, who is uh, uh, a guy in this game. Uh, it's a big part. A big part of the game is is your jewelry and like what you're wearing and your kind of uh, aesthetic and your uh, your merch. And uh, I know you talked about it a little bit there with Cabela's earlier, Neil. But yeah, that's uh, Jacob the Jeweler helps outfit you with the uh, with your coolest stuff. Maybe it's from Uncut Gems. Uh, Brian, is this a is this a crossover between Uncut <laughs> Gems and uh, Def Jam? <laughs> Uh, I mean, let's just say yes uh, for all the Zoomers out there. <laughs> that'll get them. That'll get them interested. No, uh, no. J- what's his name? Jack. What's the jeweler's name? Sorry, uh, Jacob. Jake. Yeah, no, Jacob the jeweler on the back of the case, Mike. It is alphabetical, which makes it easier for me. But uh, yeah, Henry Rollins is mentioned, but uh, no, Jacob, unfortunately. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Brian, we've had a great time having you on today. As always, is there anything else you'd like to say before we let you go? I mean, if you if you want to try it or you want to meet people in the community, there's a Discord for it. And, uh, I mean, this game is probably not very fair as far as a traditional fighting game with mix-ups and, you know, infinites <laughs> and all that. But if you want to just have some fun and treat it like a party game, I'm sure you're going to have a really good time. Sweet. I couldn't have said it better myself. Thanks so much, Brian, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. All right. Thanks, guys. Later, buddy. What a nice young man. What a nice young man. Nice young man, I know we said nice young man to uh, to marty a little bit there but mm-hmm. what nice young men thank you very much marty and brian for coming on and talking about def jam with us i'm glad we had a little hand over there marty knows vendetta brian knows fight for new york brian actually knows a lot about the uh, def jam and the community and everything so that was really cool to hear with parsec and everything like that i'm really interested and i'm actually going to look that up right after we're done <laughs> this recording but uh yeah def jam what a what a great and tragic tale because we're probably never going to see it again. No, I'm so glad it exists though. Just to know that like they yes. tried it, they came out swinging with it. EA, EA big doing good stuff in the 2000s. I love everything they did, really. I don't think we've talked about we haven't really covered a bad EA Bigs game really from from this no. generation. Like they're all like some of them were fine, but like none of them were bad they all have something memorable about them these two games have something some things very memorable uh, memorable about each of them so really cool that they uh they're out there i'm i'm really sad to think that they probably will never see the light of day again it sounds like that for some reason ea teases them on twitter which is just weird uh we'll see what comes out of that but mike these games did make their way into a thousand and one video games you must play before you die and i think i can hear the uh the pages there nice little asmr going on it's it's real good Ooh, everyone's gonna fall asleep stop doing it <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you uh let us know what did they say about uh def jam fight for new york i'm assuming yes well they do of course mention def jam vendetta a little bit in here as well first game def jam vendetta took the likeness literally casting caricatures of acts like dmx Ludacris, and method man in largely straight wrestling game with eye-watering special moves this drew unfavorable comparisons to existing wrestling games specifically how its match types and rules stacked up next to aki's landmark export wwf no mercy for the sequel the series switched stances Def Jam Fight for New York is a unique brawler in this case, 
broadening its horizons without ever really choosing a direction. Its cast includes actor Danny Trejo, singer and raconteur Henry Rollins. Uh, raconteur Henry Rollins? All right, that's a little much. Uh, <laughs> sex symbol Carmen Electra and several familiar hip-hop illuminaires, including Sticky Fingers, Exhibit, Buster Rhymes. Players create their own hero, choosing from fighting styles like kickboxing and wrestling, before prize fighting their way through a lengthy career. As hired goons for returning kingpin D-Mob, that's right, D-Mob was the, the villain from uh, Vendetta, he's back, players have to take back the, uh, the streets and clubs from Shady Hoodlum Crow, played by Snoop Dogg, and his lieutenants. Some fights ask you to throw your opponent under a speeding subway train, like Brian did, <laughs> or through an upstairs window, or perhaps into a parked SUV until it's totaled. Brutality is assured thanks to finishing moves like the Violator and the ominously titled Balls to the Wall. Games this crazy aren't meant to have sequels. <laughs> uh, they always say it so well. Yeah, they, they nail it. And just before we move on, I just want to say RIP to AKI. I know that they're not technically defunct. They are now under a different name, mm. uh, Sin Sophia Inc., but... Uh, I really do miss these guys from the 90s and the early 2000s, putting out some really good fighting games, really just crafting some of the best Saturday nights that any of us had on N64, GameCube, PS2, and Xbox. They uh, they really did put out some amazing stuff, um, but uh, I would love to see them come back and, and go, maybe go back to their roots at some point, but I think that we're a far cry away from that happening, but... With that, Mike, I think that it's time that we segue now into another franchise of the day, and that would be Mortal Kombat. That's right, Neil. We got two Mortal Kombat games on the GameCube, and we are actually talking about Mortal Kombat and these other fighting games this week because this is Mortal Kombat's 30th anniversary this week in October. October 1992 is when gaming kind of changed forever yep. uh, when Mortal Kombat got released. And uh, we don't really think – we almost think of Mortal Kombat nowadays as like a meme because, there, mm. one, there's been so many. <laughs> the, the movies, of course, are just completely wacky. Uh, but in October 1992, nothing like this existed. Uh, and this gruesome effects and this blood and this violence uh, really hadn't been seen before. You know, we have Doom and things like that, but uh, uh, nothing to the scale of Mortal Kombat. And uh, according to Ed Boon, who's co-creator of the franchise, he says that the game was really just originally meant to be a quick project, almost like a side project. Yeah. Uh, and uh, looking back, he says if it didn't have any blood in it, it probably wouldn't have had the kind of success that it did. No, that's how it made the news. And if a video game makes mainstream success, uh, negative or positive, like it, it does boost sales. Yep. Uh, kids are interested when parents are mad, basically, is what the, <laughs> the story of that is. And uh, yeah, you're right. They did. Uh, John Tobias wanted to make a video game starring Jean-Claude Van Damme. Uh, that idea fell through. So uh, he wanted to make this kind of science fantasy fighting game still and uh, ended up making uh, this this game, Mortal Kombat, like you said, released October 8th, 1992. So I think that actually predates Doom. Uh, this game being mm -hmm. over-the-top violent, hand-to-hand -hand combat, very... Uh, very gruesome compared to what video games had been up until this point, which was mostly adventure games like Zelda, Dragon Quest, Final Fantasy, and platformers like Mario uh, and, uh, and, and Kirby. Sports. And, and sports games, tons and tons of sports games, Tetris, Pong. This was really something that was kind of scary to people that didn't understand video games, I suppose. Uh, so much so that it led to the creation of what we now know as the ESRB. Um, basically it was, uh, surrounded around a bunch of video game controversies, mainly around, uh, Mortal Kombat, Mortal uh, Kombat 4, Mortal Kombat 4 with all of the blood and gore and the finishing moves, uh, more specifically, uh, which 
up until this point, basically in the early 90s, video games, it's hard to imagine video games didn't have a rating. Like that's just impossible for us to comprehend because like how could it be – how could a video game, this toy, be inappropriate? How could it be scary? How could it give my kids the bad – the wrong impression about violence and how to treat people? But here we are, even to the point where Mortal Kombat was banned in several countries for years. Uh, Germany, Mm -hmm. every Mortal Kombat game was banned for 10 years uh, until uh, 2015. Uh, Mortal Kombat in 2011, it was banned in South Korea, banned from Australia up until 2013. Uh, Mortal Kombat 11, the most recent one, is banned in Indonesia, Japan, China, and the Ukraine. Yeah, Japan, so, isn't that crazy? I know. Like, there's some crazy games in Japan, dude. Like, it's, yeah. it's so weird that Mortal Kombat is the one that, for some reason, I guess it's just that generation of people that kind of just need to die out, uh, I suppose. <laughs> but it's been 30 years. You'd think that by now... There have been worse games than Mortal Kombat by far. Um, it's just it's just crazy to think that you know people still think that this game needs to be censored because it it could cause violence in in kids or in people. Um, but anyway, here we are. Every game now gets a rating, as you can tell. We play a lot of E games, but if you want to play some M games, you uh, you have Mortal Kombat to thank. To date, we have about 27 releases in the series, 11 main entries, though. Obviously, we have the most recent one being Mortal Kombat 11 Ultimate, was released in 2020. Uh, We've had several developers who have made this franchise, from Midway Games to Eurocom, we love them, Mm -hmm. uh, Points of View Inc., and uh, several publishers as well, from Midway Games to WB Interactive. And uh, it's one of the few examples, Mike, that I can think of, at least, where a video game comes out as a almost an overnight success. Can, can you think of many others that, that did this back in the day? I mean, like, like, I mean, we mentioned doom because obviously yeah. it kind of goes hand in hand with this a little bit and that's probably one of them, but, but not to the same extent of this, this was, uh, you know, we weren't even really around for this at all. So we don't know no. it. We know the second hand of how huge Mortal Kombat was and think the Mortal Kombat was so big that it got a movie deal within years of it mm-hmm. coming out. And, and this was like, Video games did not get t- turned into movies, especially after the complete failure of the Mario Bros. movie at the time, right? right? So, like, they got not one but two in the in the nineties, uh, and that's just insane to me. But they did take a little break; took about five year break from Mortal Kombat Four to Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance, which is the first game for the GameCube and the first ever three D Mortal Kombat game. That's right. Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance was released on November 17th, 2002, developed and published by Midway. This is also on PS2, Xbox, and there is a version on Game Boy Advance, which I want to talk <laughs> about a little bit. Rates an 8 out of 10, priced today at around $25, and you already know what Mortal Kombat is. Traditionally, it's a 2D fighter, but this is this is the first 3D Mortal Kombat game. And Mike, you said this is one that you played back in the day? No, I played the Deception, the ah, second okay. uh, game. But Deception was kind of the first 3D game to me for, for the Mortal Kombat world. Uh, I did go back. I did play Deadly Alliance. And this is a solid game. It's um, it's very different from any of the Mortal Kombat games that came before. I would have loved to actually be a fly on the wall in, in, in uh, 2002 and be basically the age I am now, and go back, because it would be very, very interesting to see the reaction after five years, which at this time was a lifetime in video games, uh, to go from uh, this 97 game, uh, MK4, very, very 2D, very different, super bloody and everything still. But then, you know, five years later on the GameCube, completely new graphics, Soul Calibur had just come out, a lot more fighting games in that space as well with great graphics and great sound. 
And so Mortal Kombat had to compete. And they did a pretty good job, uh, very much more cinematic. I think because of the movies, Mortal Kombat did want to move a little bit more to the cinematic style of things. Uh, um, and you can kind of tell with the way that they're doing things, the, the way that the pr- presentation is. Because, uh, of course, this uh, game isn't uh, based just for arcades, right? So that's kind of what these games were made for at first. They were just arcade games. Right. It was, it's kind of funny. Like you said, five years in, in at this time is, is a long time. And you're right. Like it was a big deal that this was the first Mortal Kombat game to not have a, an arcade release before it's a home, before it was a home game. And nowadays, like every video game is a home, like you don't put a video game in arcades first, but in the early two thousands, that was notable that it wasn't in the arcades first because we were still in that weird in between uh, era, I suppose, especially with fighting games, because fighting games are synonymous with arcades, uh, along with games like Pac-Man, but Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, all those Tekken, all those games are very arcade focused. So to jump straight to home consoles was a big announcement. It's also the first game in the canon series not to have the involvement of the co-creator John Tobias in it, since he left Midway in 1999. Um, but it still did very well. People were obviously very thirsty for a new Mortal Kombat <laughs> game. Upon release, the game sold 350,000 copies in the first nine days, which is wow. doesn't sound like a lot now, but back no, in the day... it's just a lot. <laughs> it, it was a lot of copies. Yeah. A million copies in the first month. And then more than 1.3 million by January of 2003. And by April of 2011, uh, Ed Boon did say that the game had sold 3.5 million copies across the three platform or the four platforms, I suppose, which is very good for for mm-hmm. a game like this. So obviously people still loved Mortal Kombat in this time. People still love it to this day. I think Mortal Kombat 11 is actually one of the highest ranked and highest, obviously the highest selling, but I believe it is. Uh, the highest selling Mortal Kombat game. Uh, we didn't get a chance to say that up front, but uh, the series uh, has sold about 73 million units worldwide since its launch 30 years ago. So wow. it is the best selling fighting franchise of all time, ahead of Smash Bros., Tekken, Street Fighter, Soul Calibur, Virtua Fighter, and Bloody Roar. Smash Bros. trails it by uh, 7 million units. So it's wow. no joke how big uh, <laughs> Mortal Kombat is. That's crazy. That's actually really insane to me. But it, it like even like Street Fighter being like a lot lower than Mortal Kombat. Street yeah. Fighter, I always think is the big game. But there's actually not a lot of Street Fighter games. Um, but yeah, this so uh, Deadly Alliance. Uh, obviously, it's 3D. That's what makes it different. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that there's a lot of random new metal in it because it's 2002. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what's the the biggest differences for me are the fighting style. You can now switch between your fighting styles with a click of a button. It's the L trigger on uh, the GameCube controller. There's three unique styles that every character has. Uh, there's always two hand to hand, and one is a weapon style. That's of course the most fun. Uh, I think of Def Jam in that sense as well. <laughs> uh, being able to use weapon uh, and combo. The combos are quite hard. Mortal Kombat was always a game I was never very good at, uh, and uh, never could memorize those combos because they can get pretty intense. The one thing about the gameplay that I really don't like in this game is that there's only one fatality uh, per character. Yeah. And yeah, no stage fatalities. Yeah, no, that is too bad. It's uh, That is the big selling point of Mortal Kombat is to see the, the fatalities. It's still fun to watch the compilations, though. You do have 21 yes. different <laughs> fighters in this game, and to see 21 fatalities back to back to back, uh, it earns the ESRB rating, I suppose. Um, and they are very well done still. That's the one thing that most Mortal Kombat games, you can't say that the fatalities aren't creative. I don't know who's making them, but uh, I guess get checked out by a local shrink. Um, (laughs) The game itself, though, I got to say, like, it doesn't look terrific. Like, when we have 2D Mm. fighters, or not 2D fighters, but these platform fighters, I suppose you'd call it, 
like we we covered Soul Calibur probably a year ago now. It feels like uh, that game looks incredible. I can't say the same thing for Mortal Kombat. It doesn't quite have the same shine on all the characters. The shadows aren't quite right. The animations themselves are a little bit rigid. Uh, the character models are kind of blocky. Like it looks like an upresed PS One game. And even yeah. the the environments, the stages themselves aren't super detailed. Uh, it's just I just feel like that this game probably could have had an extra. Sp- five months six months and have looked way better there's massive frame rate dips too at times like it, it just there's there's a polish there that you'd think a game like mortal Kombat could have achieved that i think that they they, they should have waited and uh, put it out a little later i agree with that for sure and uh, and that's probably the other big con for it. it just it's not it's not that polished and no. uh, deception definitely is we'll talk about that in just a second the one last thing i did want to say uh is uh, I really, really enjoyed the crypt in this game. And what the crypt is, is basically a massive selection and uh, I guess like cache of um, uh, just information and tokens and uh, 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 like costumes, pictures, music, uh, everything you can imagine uh, is in the crypt. And you use your coins that you get through the battles and through story uh, to unlock different things, unlock alternate characters, all kinds of stuff is in the crypt. And that's the one thing that makes it worth going back to. You always want to see what you open up. It's almost like opening up a pack of cards because you don't know what you're going to actually unlock when you spend those coins. So that is the replayability uh, option for me for that, that uh, that made me want to come back. Yeah, something that I think this game could have used, and I know that this is totally cliche and something that we've probably contradicted ourselves on, is that I think that this game being almost, what, 10 years now removed from the first Mortal Kombat is maybe throw in a port or an arcade port of Mortal Kombat 1 or Mortal Kombat 2. That would have been neat. I wish that they could have done something like that. Like we talked a couple weeks ago on the TMNT episode, throwing in Turtles in Time was a half step. Like they missed a few steps there with the music, but still it was cool to have. A game that's rooted with an arcade history could definitely have this that port in here. Uh, it would have been just an extra thing to throw on the box, uh, definitely. But we did get a kind of a 2D Mortal Kombat game out of this. And I just want to talk real quick about the Mortal Kombat games that we got on GBA. Uh, we got Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance and a second version, Mortal Kombat Tournament Edition, which was mm. released <laughs> in August of 2003. Um, the, these games, they added a few more characters into the plot, which is kind of cool. But hmm. this is probably the most violent Game Boy Advance game that exists. <laughs> Like characters... There's not a lot of M Game Boy Advance games when you no. think about it, because why would there be? <laughs> I know, exactly. Like, that's what I was thinking. Like I was just watching. Like It's really weird to see these little sprites ripping each other's hearts and brains yeah. out, and then you know spearing each other with spines and everything. Like It's it's over-the-top violent, and I was just thinking, like I've never seen anything like this on Game Boy Advance. Like I was trying to think of anything that's remotely close, maybe a Castlevania or something, but yeah, I think it probably is up there in terms of the most violent-looking Game Boy Advance games, but we did get another Mortal Kombat game on the GameCube. But before we move on to that one, let's hit the back of the case for Mortal Kombat Deadly Alliance. What do you think, Mike? Sounds good. All right. A fight so brutal, so evil, so deadly. Two powerful sorcerers, Shang Sun and Quan Chi, have joined forces to achieve the supreme goal, immortality. Will Earth survive their deadly alliance? Ah, they said the name of the title. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's plots in these games. Um, I'm yep. not going to do the disservice of attempting to explain them because they are incredibly convoluted, and but really, really fun and wacky. So if you want to know more about it, please uh, let's just look up plot to yeah. Mortal Kombat. I saw that. There's like a YouTube video. It's like 90 minutes long outlining yep. the plot of Mortal Kombat. And I was like, A, there's a plot, and B, <laughs> does anybody care? 
But anyway, we, <laughs> anyway, we did get Mortal Kombat Deception, released on March 1st, 2005, developed and published again by Midway. It's also on PS2, Xbox, and PSP. Rates a 8 out of 10, priced today at around $75, and it's the same as before. It's a fighter brawler. This game was actually never released in PAL or EU regions, Mike, so uh, for our European listeners out there, I don't know if you have seen this game on shelves. Yeah, this one I I don't, well, honestly, either of these I don't see that often, but uh, Deception is one I don't see too much. I don't have this game. I played this at a friend's house back in the day, and I loved it. I thought this was so cool. I had played a little bit of Mortal Kombat back in the day for the, the 2D style, so playing the 3D version, and this was the first time I saw 3D, it was amazing. And, you know, Neil, you talked about polish, and that uh, Deadly Alliance was not polished. Well, I gotta say, Deception is very polished. Mm-hmm. Deception is, of course, three, like three years later, in March 2005, and you can tell. You know, it's yeah. everything is everything is better. Uh, the the frame rates are smoother. The the graphics obviously are a lot nicer for 2005. Yeah. Um, the the audio is crisp. Uh, it's uh, uh, even the controls, even the gameplay is smoother in my opinion. And this is a game that people don't really talk about a lot for saying when they they think of the best Mortal Kombat games. You don't necessarily see this here. But uh, and even at the time, it was a little bit controversial. Didn't sell as well as the other games. But now it's considered to be by from a lot of people is one of the best games in the series. Yeah, I I love the look of this game. I think graphically, it's head and shoulders above uh, Deadly Alliance. They definitely improved on everything, like what the GameCube could do. It took three years. That's another long gap between games. Yeah, November two thousand three to uh, March of two thousand five. So I guess two and a half years still. That's a pretty long. I mean, it's. I guess that's a pretty long hiatus. I don't yeah, know. For, for like a I fighting game, yeah. which was almost like annualized at this point. Not yeah, annualized. It is. Yeah, no, that's fair. And the GameCube version was actually released way after PS2 and Xbox, five months to Classic. be exact. Classic. So I'm sure it sold like <laughs> crap on the GameCube, no doubt. Yeah. Um, but still nice that they were supporting it. Midway, uh, this was actually one of the last games I think that Midway were supporting uh, with Nintendo. They wanted to kind of see how the sales of this game went and that kind of decided how their support would go going forward and uh obviously did not sell well but they also didn't set the game up for much success so that kind of stopped the flow of midway games coming for to nintendo consoles which honestly whatever they did give us rampage and ant bully on gamecube which is kind of cool <laughs> and a few licensed Game Boy advance games uh they did give us a few wii games but eventually midway did go out of business in 2010 so screw them i suppose uh <laughs> A little fun fact about this game, though, Mike, is that it's featured in the 40-year-old version. Yes, it is. Oh my god, I always <laughs> think of, I always think of uh, of uh, this game when I think of 40-year-old version, yes. uh, and vice versa. Yeah, when they're when Paul Rudd and Seth Rogen are playing uh, at Steve Carell's house. Uh, <laughs> what I love uh, that, is that one of them is holding an N64 controller. I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're both holding different controllers. Yeah. Uh, you know, they're just like like mashing the buttons. I'm sure, like they just had ha- like someone recorded the gameplay or something. Who knows? But uh, definitely, uh, it's such a fun game in a lot of different ways. Uh, there's uh, some new characters. Uh, Shujinko is here as a new character. Louis Kang, Liu Kang uh, zombie mode because he dies yeah. in the last game. So he comes back as a zombie in this game. We have Noob Smoke, which is kind of like a Zelda Sheik combo, which mm-hmm. I really liked, where you kind of uh, heavy hitter for one and more of a fast, elusive uh, character for the other. And my personal favorite part about this game, Neil, and I'm not sure if you saw footage of this, mm. is the mini games. 
in I, uh, in this game. I did hear about them, but I didn't get a lot of information about mm. them. There's like a board game in there, isn't there? There's chess. There's yeah. Mortal Kombat chess, which awesome. is actually really fun because you fight each other for spaces. Uh, there is also Mortal Kombat Tetris. They don't call it Tetris, but it is very clearly Tetris. Sure. Uh, and that's a lot of fun because it kind of works like Tetris 99. Uh, you're trying to get runs so that you send them to the other opponent. And by doing that, you basically beat them up harder and do, uh, combos. (laughs) So the crazier run you you have in Tetris, the crazier combo your character will have, uh, kind of on the bottom third of the screen, uh, to beat up, uh, the other person. Okay, this is the exact version of the game I think that I would have to play. If I was yes. going to play Mortal Kombat, <laughs> that's going to get me in. This is what I was talking about, that Deadly Alliance was missing. Just something, either an arcade port or something like this thrown in. Add, give me Mario Party Mortal Kombat. Like, that's what I need. <laughs> oh, man, I would love that. But uh, I think, uh, Neil, we'll talk about Mortal Kombat, the future of it, and everything later in uh, the episode. But for now, why don't we hear the back of the case for Deception? All right, sounds good. It will consume you. An ancient evil Ooh. has returned from <laughs> An ancient evil has returned from beyond death and threatens the very existence of the realms. Will the champion of the elder gods have the power to defeat this threat born of deception? And there's a lot of uh, sub uh, sub points there. I'm not going to read them all, but it does have a lot about the uh, chess, the puzzle, the Tetris, whatever they want to call it on there. Uh, it also mentions the exclusive playable characters, too, just for the mm. GameCube. We got Goro and Shao Kahn because we oh. don't have online on GameCube. So this is what we get instead. Oh, I actually did not know that. That's one thing I did not find in my research yeah. uh, or know by playing it. Okay, mm. that's really interesting that we have some exclusive characters. Um, mm-hmm. That's so funny and fascinating to me that they really push the story on the back of the cases for both these Mortal Kombat games where like a Tekken or Street Fighter just like here's the new things you can do in this game yeah I know or like even going back to Def Jam like just it just says like own the streets 50 fighters rap jams beat each other up (laughs) spectators will give you knives like great cool here's five bucks for a blockbuster rental probably (laughs) uh yeah that is really all those fighters need but when you're talking about a game like street fighter or mortal Kombat, it's hard not to talk about one without the other you do need to throw in all the new technical aspects because some fighter uh, fans will take those types of things seriously i don't Mm. think anybody was taking the story seriously though is the problem i honestly didn't know mortal Kombat had a story until just this week Oh, dude, it's crazy. It's very complex and interesting. But it is. we will save that for another day. Let's move on to a couple of boxing games uh, mm. on the GameCube to close this episode out, Neil. All right, sounds good. Let's transition to Knockout Kings, which was released on October 9th, 2002. This is Knockout Kings 2003, developed by EA Sports, published by EA Sports. This is a GameCube exclusive. You heard that correctly. What? Yep. Rates an 8 out of 10. It's a good game. Priced today at around $15, and uh, like the name suggests, this is a boxing game. This is actually the first boxing game on GameCube, chronologically at least, October 9th, 2002. I know we've talked about Rocky and a few other games, but Mike, it took us 500 games, and we finally uncovered the first boxing game to grace the GameCube. First boxing game and an exclusive GameCube game. This one just boggles my mind. Like, how did this happen? I mean, I guess this was early like this is a 2002 game very early a gamecube game of course and nintendo had big high hopes so uh, we'll, we'll mm-hmm. be talking in a couple weeks actually about uh nba courtside uh 02 which was uh another nintendo exclusive from 2002 that was just a sports game that they were 
they were trying to get into a little bit, and of course they did have a, a little partnership with um, EA at this point as well, so another reason why we see uh, quite a few EA games here today on this episode. Yeah, well the reason why this is a GameCube exclusive is because this is technically Knockout Kings 2002, which was on PS2, mm. uh, but it's an up version, and then they just titled it <laughs> Knockout Kings 2003. <laughs> So that's why Perfect. it's a game. That's why it's a GameCube exclusive, Mike, is because it's technically not. It's technically just Knockout Kings 2002 with a fresh coat of paint. So that's how they got around that, and that <laughs> is why it's a GameCube exclusive, technically. But if you're a GameCube collector out there and you're looking for all of the only on GameCube labels, you kind of have to get Knockout Kings 2003. And suspiciously, there's no Knockout Kings 2004, 2005, 2006. So I think that that tells you how well this game sold, which is too bad because in terms of the mechanics of a boxing game, it's actually a pretty decent package. Uh, The game runs very smoothly, Mm -hmm. 60 frames per second. The characters themselves all look pretty good. Character models are all very detailed. The soundtrack is okay. I don't know many of these artists, uh, Trick Turner, Triple Seven, Brick Mitrick. Brick mistress Has to be music. New metal. <laughs> Must be new metal. A lot of hip hop and rap. So I'm sure if we brought Marty and Brian back on, they'd probably be wringing my neck, wondering why I've never heard of these artists before. But uh, for an EA sports game, it's actually not a bad quality thing. It's just I don't think that a realistic boxing game is something that Nintendo fans are really trained to buy. Yeah, absolutely. It um, it's just one of those. Game. I mean, we have Wii Boxing, as we said that that uh, that's the the <laughs> ultimate boxing game. But I think it just it's a quite a saturated market. Like you know, we there are a lot of fighter brawlers uh, on uh, the GameCube, and you know, I know boxing is obviously a, a a different game than a wrestling game or a Def Jam game, but it's in the same kind of genre. It's you're not buying your kid four different. You know, you're not buying your kid a boxing game, then the UFC game, then a Def Jam no. game, then a Mortal Kombat game. You're probably getting them one or maybe two, right? So right. there's a lot of competition here. And I said a couple of them there, but yeah, like Soul Calibur as well being another one. And especially with Link in Soul Calibur, that's like a hard one to pass up in 2002. So Knockout Kings probably had extremely stiff competition, even though it was a uh, published and developed by EA. So they had the money behind it to make it a good game. It was a good game. It just yep. there's better games out there, kind of in in that space. Like even the think of all the exclusive wrestling games that we had for the GameCube at this time too. Yeah, I mean, I think like like you said, it's a great boxing game. But let's just simple business here. Let's take like the <laughs> the pie of of people who like boxing. Okay, now let's take the those people and the those people who like realistic boxing simulation video games okay that's an even smaller pie now let's take the gamecube owners of those people (laughs) tiny pie great now let's take those people and who's gonna buy that over the other wrestling games that we've talked about the like like you said like the pie just keeps getting smaller and smaller and smaller that boxing does make a great arcade video game genre like i love games like punch out like there are some really good fighting video games out there but a realistic boxing game the the venn diagram of people who are going to buy that game uh just before the holidays is so small like kids aren't really into boxing not many kids are into boxing like let's be real like Mm. when it comes to games like not that kind of boxing not no no not that kind of boxing like when you get into you know you've got baseball you've got hockey you've got soccer you've got american football um 
boxing is just so low on that that I think that even if you had a kid who's into boxing, the odds are they probably like those four or five sports more already. So you're just going to get them that. And at the end of the day, there's not going to be the budget for it. I know that this was probably a, a discounted game eventually, but even then, like, I don't think that it's enough to uh, warrant a purchase. It also has the a problem with the title, Knockout Kings. They didn't, uh, they didn't True. go with like a Floyd Mayweather's, uh, uh, mm, uh, or Mike Tyson's box. Like, you know, that, like, cause that's back in the day, uh, the 2D games, like on SNES and Arcade, Mike Tyson's boxing, right? You use someone who's big in the, uh, in the world of that sport and you get them to promote it. Ken Griffey's baseball, uh, Tiger Woods golf, right? Like right. that's kind of how you get the ball rolling for these games. And I compare it actually very closely to, I don't know if you remember on one of the racing episodes, the F1, uh, E sports F1 racing. There's only one game. I think it's also 2002 or 2003. Uh, and it, there was only one of them, at least for the GameCube, because same, kind of thing do kids really want to do the f1 simulator uh game or do they want to play a thousand different racing games (laughs) that are on the gamecube burnout need for speed like midnight club for other consoles and of course uh other different ones like auto modelista uh -hmm. or uh what's the uh the the cell damage you know there's 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 so many different versions of racing and it's the same kind of thing here with the fighter brawlers where they're just too many options for a realistic boxing game that isn't sponsored or doesn't have name recognition by anyone in the sport. Right. But nonetheless, it is still a very tight boxing game. It it does work very well. Like we said, the controls are all very intuitive. The game runs well. So if you do happen to be looking for a boxing game on GameCube, this probably is the best bet. It's very affordable and it it runs well. I I can't believe how similar the back of this case looks to all the other EA sports games from this generation, <laughs> specifically the hockey games yeah. and the golf games and the baseball games. They cut and pasted the heck out of that template, dude. Well, let's hear that template. <laughs> all right, cool. Sounds good. So it starts with knockout Kings 2003 and the back of the cover just, just says, and still champion of the world. I don't know what that means. <laughs> Features trade leather in slugfest mode, punch and power your way to the top in a radical slugfest mode featuring brawls with bells, progressive boxer damage and selectable special punches, trade punches with the best go to blows with the boxing's greatest Muhammad Ali, along with Felix Trinidad, Lenix Lewis, Oscar de la Hoya, Evander Holyfield and more. The Sweet Science, an unprecedented game engine, delivers the best-looking graphics and most realistic boxers ever. Take your shot at the title. Fight your way to the championship against the world's best title holders in tournament mode. Stick and move. Knock out the best with faster and more furious fighter controls. It, it's cool having all like the licensed uh, boxers and everything in there, like all really yeah. big names uh, for mm-hmm. even people who don't know boxing. But um, but yeah, it just. Uh, it's too bad, but if you you enjoy boxing and I do, uh, fifteen bucks, I might pick it up if I see it one day. Yeah, it's worth having something to pad out the GameCube library a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, more boxing games coming your way. We're gonna move on now to Black and Bruised, which was released on January twenty sixth, two thousand and three. Developed by Digital Fiction, published by Majesco. It's also on PS two. Rates a six out of ten. Priced today at a whopping two hundred dollars. It's actually way cheaper in the UK. I was surprised at the price difference there. Mm. And this is another boxing game. And gotta give a shout out to Digital Fiction. This is a Canadian developed game. Oh, very cool. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm still shocked that no other games other than Eternal Darkness have that Made in Canada uh, little uh, you know maple leaf on on the box that Silicon Knights had. 
Yeah, we don't need a lot of it, but it is kind of funny when it shows up. Like, I, I, I kind of wish that more jumped in on that, but uh, this one does not have the Made in Canada logo, I believe. No, it's literally only Eternal Darkness, and I don't, I'm not yeah. really sure why, because you could technically have them with all the EA games. But, uh, uh, mm. but yes, uh, uh, Black and Bruised. Uh, now, this is the opposite of what we just described. Uh, <laughs> this is yeah. a, a very over-the-top uh, punch-out style game. Really, this is a punch-out game. Uh, very over-the-top cartoony, uh, for sure. Uh, this reminded me a little bit of Smashing Drive and that kind of cell damage uh, kind of style yeah. uh, look. It is a cell-shaded game. It's not the good cell-shaded, though. It's uh, We've talked about this a couple times. There's like the... There's like two different versions of cell shading at this time. There was like the nice, crisp, clean Wind Waker style cell shading, and then there was like the muddy, like texture based cell shading. If you if Ed, you, Ed and Eddie, maybe. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. And and this is this one, this version of it. Unfortunately, <laughs> it still looks okay. It's definitely better than than a lot of uh, games at this point um, point in time. But um, it, it's it, it's a very okay animated over-the-top game 19 unique fighters gamecube mm-hmm. version is actually the better way to play better way to play it its frame rate is smoother and more and the uh the shadows and everything show up more and it's more colorful than the ps2 and um you know there's also some voice work in it very campy uh yeah. voice acting but there is voice acting which i was very surprised about i was not expecting it considering what i saw on the front case and uh got some upbeat music cartoon-like sound effects and it's kind of just a light-hearted tone for a game yeah, I was actually somewhat impressed by the character models. I know you said, like, the, the cell shading, it is cheap. This does feel like a cheap cell shaded game, but that uh, it still works for me. Like, like we've said it, uh, I've said this for years, actually. Like, it's too bad that the GameCube didn't have a punch out on it. I feel really stupid knowing that now because we're going to talk about a game in a few minutes. But mm-hmm. I would have said, like, this is basically the GameCube's punch out. It, it, it's a very similar kind of style of game where it's got a little bit of not so much puzzle solving as punch out did but it is very much like learning the other characters combos in order to overcome them uh but the character models themselves are all pretty cool you've got some very interestingly designed characters the voice acting you're right it was a little campy i would have liked maybe it to be a little bit more top notch i actually think what could have improved it would have been if they had gone more the outlaw golf route and have gotten a celebrity to be in the game in some way either as an announcer or as the main fighter like steve carell was I think that they could have maybe gone with maybe not like Sylvester Stallone, but somebody in that vein, <laughs> like in that fighting community, yeah. like maybe have Carl Weathers in there or somebody like, like, I don't know who else to pick from that group of people, but somebody from the acting world who was in a fighting thing. I think that that could have been really cool or even have a professional wrestler in there like The Rock at the time might have done it. I don't know. But to have somebody in there to throw on the box, like, hey, it's featuring the voice actor, blah, blah, blah. Like that would have been really cool. Would have made this game a little bit more of a gem to pick up 20 years later, but everything else about this game is so unmemorable, I think <laughs> is my biggest problem. It's just like the colors all just kind of wash together. The music is nothing to write home about. The controls aren't very interesting like Punch-Out. It's pretty much a button masher when you get right down to it. So unfortunately, you could probably play this game in a day or two and, and never really think about it again, which is too bad because it did have a lot of potential to be a, a pretty neat gem on the gamecube but unfortunately it uh it's not yeah there there is like there definitely are a couple pros to it i mean uh i mean obviously it is very oversimplified and gets old pretty fast like you said but yeah. there's actually a decent story driven single player experience uh that's called boxer's life 
It's a career mode of sorts with a cinematic style uh, with some sequences between each fight. And the sequences are actually pretty well done. Um, every fighter has their own storyline, uh, which is there's 19 fighters. So there's a lot of, 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 uh, of I guess, stuff that stories are written for each one. Uh, and uh, it's pretty entertaining because they also kind of tie directly into the fights, which is cool. So the, an example for that is... When you play as the character Mickey McFist, uh, that's right, that's the guy, <laughs> you'll eventually get into a car accident that leaves your ribs a little sore, and uh, this translates into not being able to take too many punches to your body in your next fight, uh, since they'll do mm. an increased amount of damage. So I like that. Yeah. That's really cool. Yeah. So that that's cool. Like Stuff like that, I I like a lot, and... I was happy that that was at least part of it. I feel like if we, they didn't have the Boxer's Life part, like almost like the career mode uh, part of this game, uh, then it would have been really like fallen flat for sure. But it, it makes it a solid six or seven out of ten with the uh, with the Boxer's Life. Yeah, that that's really cool. I love that idea of mm-hmm. having the cutscenes kind of play into the next level. Like your character's yeah. now at a disadvantage or an an advantage. It kind of actually it actually incentivizes you to watch a cutscene. Yes, exactly. Like, like a lot of the times when I'm playing a video game and there's a cutscene, like I'll I'll tune out. Like I'll check my phone. I'll sometimes go to the bathroom or something because like honestly, some video game cutscenes are way too long and just boring. Uh, it's neat if it's quick and snappy, and then when you get back to the game, something has happened that now has affected your character. That rarely happens in any game that I can think of right now. Yeah, especially like a budget game like this. Yeah. Yeah, that's incredibly. That's very creative. I I would like to see more of that. I but, just uh, sold you on Black and Bruise, Neil. <laughs> not quite, but you did sell me on reading the back of the case. So <laughs> I think we should uh, hit the back of the case of Black and Bruise and move on to the last game of the day. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. When life backs you into a corner, come out swinging. To these guys, boxing's no game. It's a matter of survival. Nineteen outrageous characters fight their way through grueling, over-the-top slugfests to win fame, fortune, or respect. I like how it's or respect, like not <laughs> yeah, and not, respect. Not and. <laughs> you can have one of them. You have to pick. <laughs> Play through their interwining lives as they literally beat each other black and bruised. A, that's awesome. That's a great back of the game. You can have one, but not all three. <laughs> the, uh, I, I wish they picked a better name than black and bruised. That's not a – they could have – than something else i don't like yeah that it name. sounds like that game ultimate muscle like it's just what is this kind of <laughs> yeah thing? yeah and but. as we know ultimate muscle did not sell uh nope. at all and maybe black and bruise sold a couple but uh one uh game here that did sell okay is uh mm-hmm. fight night round two that's right fight night round two was released on february 8th 2005 developed by ea chicago published by ea games it's also on ps2 and xbox rates an 8.5 out of 10 priced today at around 30 dollars and uh, this is another boxing game. And uh, this game has Little Mac as a character, Mike. Uh, we've talked a lot about the EA partnership before with SXX, Tricky, NBA Street Volume 3. I would love to have seen it in Def Jam. Uh, but this is another <laughs> example of that. And this is what I was alluding to earlier, how I said I felt really stupid. Because for years I've been saying there was no uh, there was no punch-out game on the GameCube. But there actually is a punch-out game hidden in Fight Night Round 2. That's right, Neil. Uh, Super Punch-Out is a bonus game. In the yeah. only, and of course, only the GameCube version of Fight Night Round 2, which I love. Awesome. A really cool little thing to put in there. Again, this was the the happy times of EA and Nintendo. They mm. were working well together. They had that partnership where they did, 
use their characters, not to the full extent as they probably should have. And I, there's a reason why that partnership died and now they have a terrible relationship. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, and we talked about that on a couple episodes before, so you can check that out, especially on the snowboarding episode where we talked about SSX. But, uh, yeah, it was really cool to see Super Punch-Out be an unlockable bonus game, uh, on Fight Night. And the way to do that and the way to unlock, or sorry, I should say the way to unlock Little Mac uh, is, uh, because, you know, let's be honest, that's what, what we're all here to do on the yeah. GameCube version, that's why you bought it, is you have to complete either every circuit in Super Punch-Out or uh, in Fight Night Round 2, create a new character with the first name Mac-Man. Hmm. That's awesome. Yeah. I love stuff like that. That's so cool. So I don't cool. know how you would know to do that unless you read that in, like, a Nintendo Power yeah. or it's another one of those schoolyard uh, like the schoolyard rumor, like, yo, if you make a character named Mac-Man, you'll unlock Little Mac. No and way. Like, that doesn't BS, you're a liar. And then, you know, <laughs> you'd go home and try it and sure as heck it works. That's awesome. Yeah. See, like, little secrets like that in video games. Like, where is that? I love it. It's like, we have an entire episode dedicated to that, Neil, with Easter eggs. And that's why I we know, did it. It's, it's so rare to happen today. Yeah. And like, this is just a Fight Night Round 2 game. Like, yep. it's not it's not a big AAA game nope. release. It's just a little game that threw in these little Easter eggs. It's so cool. So cool. And yeah, once again, another EA game here. EA really pushing pushing the boundaries here, doing great things. Oh, 2005 EA, I miss you. Man, you were, you were yeah. doing great. Come back. <laughs> Come back, please. <laughs> but yeah, it's um it, so this of course is another boxing game. Uh it is a, a sequel to Fight Night 2004 and uh it's the only Fight Night game released on the GameCube. It's basically mm-hmm. the boxing version of EA Sports games at this time with a little extra flavor. Uh, to compete with the Def Jam games that were coming out. Well, I shouldn't say compete because those were also EA games. They were also <laughs> yeah. EA games. They, they cornered the market there on the boxing games, I think. Yeah, because it's funny because this came out 2005, about a year after Def Jam uh, Fight for uh, New York. So I thought that yep. was kind of interesting. I always actually, in my mind, I always associated Fight Night Round 2 as a kind of sequel of sorts to Def Jam. Uh, before I knew what Fight Night was because uh, I had seen ads for it. I remember it. I was like, oh, is this just like... Because I knew it was like Fight 4. So I was like, oh, it's just another fight, you know, a franchise game. It sounds like it was a franchise and Fight, Def Jam Fight for New York was part of the Fight Night rounds. But yeah, completely different series. There was definitely some, probably some confusion caused there. I definitely was. I remember seeing all of these games at Blockbuster. Like I can picture these cases oh, yeah. in my mind, like seeing these games with the Need for Speeds, with the Tony Hawks, Fight Night being right up there in the, on that shelf for sure. It was just one of those blockbuster <laughs> rental games. That EA uh, style cover and everything. Yeah. It's so iconic mm-hmm. at, at that time. And uh, the, the best way, honestly, to put this, is I was reading some reviews and watching gameplay for it. Uh, and the, the best way to explain this to someone would be like, Fight Night is basically like the NBA street to uh, Knockout Kings. Okay, that's a good that's a good uh, that's a good example. So where does Def Jam fall into place there? Then? <laughs> Def Jam falls into like the NFL Blitz. If you remember uh, those ones where <laughs> it's the uh, they all come out of jail to play <laughs> to to, yeah. to play football. Um, Fair. The uh, so some of the differences between this and some of the other fight game fighting games by EA at the time, uh, we have uh, illegal maneuvers. Uh, that are allowed. So including headbutts, uh, elbow attacks, low blows. Uh, these attacks do somewhat more damage than a normal punch and have a greater chance of opening up a cut, which is what you're trying to do. Uh, but repeated usage will result in point deduction and eventual disqualification. So it's kind of like 
uh, it's a cool game in that sense because it sticks to the rules of boxing, but with a little bit of a street element in that sense, right? You know, it's just like, oh, you can do a couple. if you Like, you can see how many you can get in without uh, uh, getting too many points deducted or getting disqualified. And I really, really like that in games where, because we talk about this all the time, where we're kind of tired of just fully sim Right. Uh, style games, whether it's racing, sports, anything like that. It's really fun to have a little bit of that arcade element in there. And yeah. I, I see that with this, and I think that's a really nice mix. I think they they saw Def Jam as being probably too over the top and too crazy. And it's like, this okay, is that guys. middle ground. Yeah, this yeah, is this, the middle ground, exactly. Like, there are rules, but nobody in the audience is handing you a golf club <laughs> yeah. to beat up your opponent. Like, it's just that exactly. you can you can do the illegal hits, kind of. It's like in NHL hits. How, like, yeah, you can fight, kind of. Like, it's it's all, like, it's not completely over-the-top arcade action. It's, like, just enough. Yes. Like, they know, they push it just to that limit of it being fun, but don't overstep that boundary. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's uh, that's really cool. I like that that's included in there because it does it does differentiate it from being like a knockout king, but it's not quite as crazy as being a Def Jam. So yeah. that's and you have Little Mac. So like, what more yeah. can you ask for? <laughs> that's all I want. It's just more Little Mac. It is like that's a really cool because we didn't get a lot of like Little Mac was not talked about at all in this era. Like Little no. Mac was basically dead on the sidewalk, <laughs> like <laughs> stabbed <laughs> after Def Jam. <laughs> like he uh, he was, you know, I didn't have any affinity for the Punch-Out games or anything when I was a kid because I didn't grow up with them uh, in any way, really. And If you were an N64 and a GameCube kid, you didn't have Punch-Out. Exactly. So, uh, yeah. you know, for, for me, uh, didn't really care about it, and I knew who Little Mac was. So, like, when he came into Smash 4, I was like, oh, yeah, Little Mac. But I also remember thinking, I'm like, oh, it's kind of late because, like, Little Mac's got a huge or was a huge part of Nintendo's history that they kind of just let die, like – Many other, many other other franchises like F Zero, uh, or even Metroid to some extent. Uh, but yeah, uh, just the Nintendo way, Neil. Just the Nintendo way. But this game itself is another tight game. Like I think very. it's it's very similar in terms of Knockout Kings. Like it's earned that eight point five out of ten. Oh yeah. Uh, it probably sold a lot better, I would assume, on PS Two and even Xbox. I think that these types of games, especially sports games, were just a little bit more synonymous with the PlayStation. So. Uh, it's kind of weird that we only got round two on GameCube. It's it's too bad actually because it's like this is such a tight game. It mm-hmm. looks good. It's it's a little bit a little bit violent. It's got that teen teen rating I think on this one, which you know yep, Nintendo teen. is chasing. It's a polished product. It's got some good music. Got some uh, the announcer is really good too. It's an actual announcer from uh, an ESPN Joe Tessitore. Yeah, yeah, did a good job there. You can tell it's a real. You can always tell when it's a real sports commentator. You can. Yeah, there's just something about the cadence and the way that they they carry their voice. It just sounds like that they do this for a living. So they were able to get somebody in there and. EA Sports were great at finding commentators to jump in and do this. So a lot of like original uh, sound bites there that they've used, which is really cool. Really makes it an immersive experience. But uh, I think this might have been the last fight night round on a Nintendo console. I don't know if round three ever showed up on anything Nintendo. No, this was, uh, I believe, the only one. I don't think we got any fight nights on the Wii uh, no. Again, Wii Boxing, Neil. Just just killing everything. <laughs> Wii Boxing was crushing the game. Yeah, round three was on PS2, PS3, PSP, Xbox, and 360. So they they tried it on Nintendo. It didn't work well. And uh, like we said, like we've said a million times before, this was the beginning of the end of the great relationship that Nintendo had with uh, with EA. But with that, I think we should hit the back of the case of Fight Night Round 2 and uh, move on to our closing statements. Sounds good, Neil. And by the way, Fight Night Round 4 was on the BlackBerry, so we're good. 
Oh, good. Okay, I can pick that one up then, because uh, I'm sure I have a Blackberry rolling around <laughs> Lying somewhere. Around my... somewhere. <laughs> ah, just waiting to play Fight Night Round 4, basically. <laughs> the power of the punch. All new EA Sports Haymaker. Control the power of your punch and end the fight with a one-punch knockout. Total boxer control. Block and punch on the move using EA Sport Fight Night's revolutionary analog control system. Take charge in the corner. Corner the effects of damage using the EA Sports Cutman's Bucket of Tools. Become boxing's greatest champion. Create a fighter who looks like you with the new analog body and facial sculpting controls. Oh no. Nintendo Super Punch-Out. Relive the greatest moments in boxing with a retro boxing classic. That's awesome that they called it out on the back of the box like that. I love that. And the creative fighter looks uh, really good. Very detailed. A little too detailed <laughs> to the point where you can give your character man boobs and uh, they look real. So that's something. Yeah, the the, the edit, uh, well, create, yeah, create a character uh, customization on it is really, really good. Probably better than it needs to be, like you said. But, a little uh, bit. But yeah, and I love that call out Super Punch Out in the back of the case. We know that some of these games that have these arcade cabinets and stuff within the games don't even call them out and they kind of just make you look for them for whatever reason. So great. Uh, that they have it on there yeah it's a cool uh, cool little call out on the back of the case and that does bring me into our first part of our closing segments and that is games that we are looking for i have to start my list off right away with fight night round two just for super punch out alone i think that that's a really cool thing to have on yep. on gamecube to have that little unlockable mode to play a classic snes game you can play the game with little mac which is really cool. It's a quality game, relatively affordable too, 30 bucks. Yeah. So it's a late GameCube game, so it looks good. So right off the bat, Fight Night Round 2 is a game that's high up on my list to pick up. I would like to pick up the Def Jam games, and I think that they are worth picking up for GameCube collectors. The price tag is a little bit high. Um, so I would say to maybe just hold off and uh, emulate it. If you, if you really want to play those games, you'll probably have a bit more fun. Like Brian said, uh, go and emulate them there on the um parsec emulator mm-hmm. uh but yeah uh a lot of good games to talk about today mike are there any games that you uh you would like to pick up at some point yeah i mean uh, i gotta agree with the fight night round too like that is a game i really really want to buy that's probably one of the only ones on here that i didn't know very much going into mm-hmm. and so learning about it and everything uh i was like wow this is a really cool game i'm definitely wanting to pick this up for yeah 30 bucks very affordable I would love, I would absolutely die to own Def Jam Fight for New York. It's a, it was a pretty big part of my childhood. I love it. It's, it's such a fun game. It just, you know, $250 or $200. That's, that's a lot of that's money. Lot. Yeah. That's for, a lot. For yeah. a game like that. And I think it could go down in price. I, I don't think it's going to go insanely high, but we'll see. Vendetta as well. I'd like to try and pick up. Uh, but even like stuff like Black and Bruise would be interesting to play because I, I like to play the like that Boxer's Life mode and just see how that would be. Um, Combat Kings, uh, as a, someone who enjoys boxing and knows some stuff about boxing, that would be interesting to see. Fight Night Round 2 kind of just beats that out, though, so I probably wouldn't pick that up. And the Mortal Kombat games, um, Deadly Lines and Deception, especially Deception. I think Deception is a must-own if you're a Mortal Kombat f- fan at all. Uh, it's a fantastic game. Also, I will say, actually, we forgot to mention this early on with Def Jam. I just remember this. The Def Jam games on GameCube are actually not necessarily the way to play them because uh, they are very censored. Uh, they don't have the same music as uh, the the rest of the platforms, as PS2 or Xbox. Uh, oh, no. So the game uh, doesn't have music during multiplayer. 
So it's a better experience mm. on those ones. I, I rarely say that because uh. you should always buy GameCube. But, uh, <laughs> but so you can definitely get it cheaper or you can just play it uh, online. Uh, uh, the games are cheaper on PS2 and Xbox. Like, that's obvious. That's almost always the case. So if you have a PS2, like, you can get Fight for New York for less than 150 Canadian. So yeah. Um, a little bit more, still expensive for a PS2 game, but a little bit more affordable than the GameCube version and probably the better experience. That's a good call out. I did not notice that, but makes sense. The GameCube being less powerful than, uh, some of its, uh, more family friendly as well. Like that's kind of, they, they, they did, we think of freaky flyers, the cover for that, uh, (laughs) with the boobs, uh, toned down Mm. on the GameCube edition. So yeah, GameCube did tone it down a little bit uh, for uh, Def Jam and Def Jam, you want to be toned up. So, uh, (laughs) as Marty will tell you, you definitely want Def Jam toned up, (laughs) but that brings me to my next thought here, Mike, and that is the future of these franchises. Mm -hmm. I would love to talk about Mortal Kombat, but I think you and I can both easily predict Mortal Kombat 12 will come out eventually. If it hasn't already been announced, I'm sure that that's coming. It doesn't seem like that they're very supportive of Nintendo hardware anymore, unfortunately. Uh, but where do you see any of these fighting franchises going forward on Nintendo hardware? That's a good question. I mean, I'll, well, obviously, yeah, like Mortal Kombat, we'll, we'll, it'll have games. And I'm sure at some point we'll get some more Mortal Kombat games on Nintendo hardware. But uh, Def Jam is like such an interesting one. Obviously, Brian talked about a little bit about its legacy and where we go from here with Def Jam and Def Jam icons being a complete failure and rap star. Uh, it's it's really interesting because we don't come across a lot of these things where there's a lot of hype for it people still talk about it you still hear Def Jam talk about all the time for these games especially Fight for New York I always see this game on people's like top lists uh and uh, on like most wanted remakes and this kind of goes hand in hand with something like GoldenEye in my opinion and that what I mean by that is in terms of like the licensing hell that you kind of have to go through uh, for it with uh, figuring out who owns what, you know, all these likenesses that these people signed over. Uh, I'm sure it was signed over to some different studios at the time too and have different uh, contracts with it in terms of how long that they're allowed or like what games that they're allowed to use that for. You'd have to try and get everyone back, which you do new rappers and new celebrities and stuff. Um, it, it's, it's a tough uh, question to answer. I, I think we might get something Def Jam in the near future. Hmm. Uh, I can't predict what that is. I don't think it's going to be a remake or a remaster. I think whatever no. they do will have to be brand new. Uh, and it almost certainly will not be as good, which is a kind of a too bad because what we're looking for is people who grew up in this era and grew up with playing some of these games with Def Jam uh, it's an era that literally can't be replicated again. You know, it's it's a, it's yeah. the ultimate time capsule, like we said earlier in the show. So uh, what we're like hyped about, and we're we're like, oh, I wish we can have this. Uh, we we wouldn't really get it, even if we did get a new Def Jam game. No, yeah, I think you're totally right. I do need to rewind real quick though, and just say I screwed that up. Mortal Kombat 11 is on Nintendo Switch, so it seems like that uh, they will be on probably Nintendo hardware going forward. I screwed that up. I was still thinking of Wii U, and that definitely didn't get any uh, Mortal Kombat games. And honestly, I have not, never heard anything about Mortal Kombat 11 on Switch. So it might be good. It might not be. Uh, but uh, yeah, going back to Def Jam, I would love to see, I've already said it before on the show, would love to see it come back in some way. Not as a remaster. I don't think that we need to see the old games again. I would much rather see them do it with new characters, new artists, new new um, 
new actors, new songs, like give me some new stories. I would love to be introduced to this generation of hip hop stars and rap artists again in a weird wrestling campaign. I think that it could be a lot of fun to be a quick six hour experience. It doesn't need to be super fleshed out, have a good online mode, maybe have some, some, you know, quick battles that you can do online, create a character mode. Like you could do a really cool thing with the, with this, but I don't know much about hip hop artists of today, but I feel like that they have a different mindset in terms of their public appearance than they did in the early two thousands. It felt like that they were just into, I just feel like they were into having fun more back then, honestly, like just to put it bluntly, I feel like that it's like music for some reason, mainstream music doesn't seem fun anymore. Maybe it never was, but I feel like that the whole image around artists just seems very different than it was even 10 years ago. So it's too bad, but uh, I think it has a chance of being a thing. Uh, maybe it'll exist more like in the indie space, like literally indie artists working with indie developers. I think that that's a possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, but still, something that uh, we could look forward to maybe one day on Switch. Uh, but Mike, while I'm waiting for the game of uh, Drake beating in Justin Bieber's face in uh, in the downtown streets of Toronto, <laughs> why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 115 of the GameCube is Cool podcast? Uh, well, I would love to see that game, Drake, Justin Bieber, maybe Henry Rollins in there too, teaching them how to fight. <laughs> but on episode 115, we will be talking about Fire Emblem Path of Radiance, one of the last AAA Nintendo games on the GameCube, a very late game, of course. Uh, but we are excited to talk about it. Um, we've been waiting to talk about Fire Emblem for 115 episodes now, Neil. And wow. uh, we're going to be having some fun guests on to talk about their experiences with the series and this game. Um, Fire Emblem is very interesting, and I had a lot of fun kind of going back and learning about the series and how it came to be and the whole Japanese uh, first like 10 years and then went to North America and all that stuff. So it's it's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. Fire Emblem is obviously one of the big three or five Nintendo franchises mm. now. Not the case in the 2000s. It's a completely different franchise today than it was 20, 30 years ago. Yes. But uh, it's going to be a lot of fun talking about it. Mike and I, we've said it before, we are not RPG fans. So we're certainly not uh, strategy RPG fans or tactical RPG fans. So we're going to have a bunch of our friends join the show uh, we're going to have a bunch of uh, fans of anime, like our friend Zaffer is coming back, which is going to be a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. So yeah, really looking forward to uh, talking about that game next week. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 114 of the GameCube School podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the GameCube is cool. All patrons get the show ad free and a little early. You can head on over to our merch store on tpublic.com. Link to the store is in the episode description. You can follow us on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Jacob the jeweler, Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye-bye. GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. GameCube. The product of what happens when you think inside the box. Where do you think Jacob the Jeweler is located? Do you think uh, do you think I could find him maybe somewhere uh, in Toronto? No, Henry Rollins took him hostage, and uh, he's been in his apartment ever since. Oh, okay. Do you think that they started a Twitch channel? <laughs> yeah, they did. They did. Yeah, yeah. They they're having a good time, and uh, you know they're playing some Black Flag in the background. Assassin's Creed Black Flag. Uh, yes. Or uh, the band uh, Black Flag. Both. <laughs> they're playing both. <laughs> That's a great crossover. <laughs>